God, you know you're fat when you get out of breath dancing in your chair. Hello, and welcome to... That is... I, I do believe that is now part of the uh, medical criteria. Yeah. The, the doctor will look oh. at you, and it's right It's right up there with having you take your shirt off. They slap you and check to see how long you, your belly jiggles. That's right. 30 seconds, fatty. Maybe hit a treadmill. No, no, no. Like The, the Simpsons reference where it's oh. Hibbert slaps Homer, and it just starts going. He goes, woohoo, look at that blubber fly. And Hibbert just looks at his secretary and goes, cancel my 3 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and with that introduction out of the way, hello and welcome to Damn You Hollywood. Wait, that's not how this goes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledge and Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood. And Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Robert Winfrey. Yay! That was odd. <laughs> so, so on TikTok, one of the sounds, one of the one of the trending sounds is the Holy Spirit activate uh, thing from I think one of the Wilson Phillips sisters. And um, there's a particular one that's a little unnerving. But I was talking with my wife about it before this podcast, and so I have that now in my head. So everything right now is Holy Spirit activate. Alrighty then. <laughs> All right. This is this, this is your show. Don't let me take over. Oh, now, now you don't want me to let you take over. <laughs> now you decide. No, no, this is your show. I will have nothing to do with the. I, this is yours. <laughs> you, sir, are the captain of note for the Titanic. <laughs> this is, you are technically the host. I'm the co-host. I'm your. Uh-huh. I'm the Ed McMahon. You're Johnny Carson. You know you're on camera, right? Yeah, I just got something really stuck back there, and it's kind of bothering me. <laughs> okay. I will <laughs> deal with it at some point in the future. Glad we're streaming this live to the, the whole world. Ain't it the best? <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, everyone. If you're wondering why we're just kind of vamping, we are half expecting Ronnie Adams to join us. Uh, and half... Oh, God, Edgar. And half... Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit. Please don't dance. <laughs> Only I may dance. <laughs> it's, it's my show. <laughs> okay, we are tonight discussing the latest Edgar Wright film, Last Night in Soho. Yes, sir. Mark, I have to ask. I don't, because I... Most of these things I remember now. Mm-hmm. Like before, it was just you'd throw the schedule at me and we'd go, okay, and then we'd have something to vamp about on occasion. Mm-hmm. Now that you know we have a slightly more collaborative pro, because of the state of cinema, which we will get to, <laughs> hang on, which we will discuss in greater detail Friday, because that's mm-hmm. more, a more appropriate discussion there. Uh, we now discuss these things a lot more beforehand, like, okay, XYZ, here's my thought process, and some of it's self evident, some of it's not so much. Right. So I have to ask, why this movie? 
a couple of reasons. One, it is categorized as a psychological horror film, and it is. Imp- I might even argue that's improperly categorized, but fair enough. Uh, so I am trying to uh, push myself. I am trying to uh, expand uh, my horizons. I know the majority of the people that I podcast with enjoy the horror genre. And I just want to have stuff to talk about with people who enjoy talking about things that they like to talk about. So I was like, okay, well, then if that means that I have to be the one that's uncomfortable, God knows I've, I've asked a lot of everybody else, you know, to, to, to watch things they're not exactly thrilled about, but they do so because of whatever the reasons are. Um, so like, I, I feel like in return, I should do the same thing. And so when I saw that this was coming out and then because which goes to the second reason, the director, I mean, we like Edgar Wright. We like Shaun of the Dead. We Sean, um, Sean Comer and I, it'll be out later this year as a re-air, uh, did the Cornetto trilogy about the time that we ended Long Road to Ruin for a while. Yeah, you guys just about went on hiatus not too long after that. Yeah. So, I mean, we like we tend to like Edgar Wright. He tends to do a lot of out-of-the-box things. He's one of those directors that kind of does his, you know, it was a major conversation we had with yet another re-air at, at a later date, Ant-Man, which yeah. was... You know, he really tried to put his own spin on it, and he ran up against the uh, the boundaries that are Marvel Studios. Um, it's a shame so he like, didn't come. It's a shame he didn't come along now. I would. I'm going to go out on a minor limb and say his take on the Eternals would have been much better than what we're going to get. Well, more on that next a week from tomorrow. In any case, so the short answer being, it's in yet another horror film. It's a horror film I felt like I could handle. You know. Oh yeah, this is this is very. I. As I was watching this, mostly bored out of my mind, <laughs> um, uh, this struck me as something very much up your alley in a lot of respects. Yeah, it very much was. I'll talk about that when we get to the craft review. And then I like the director. I thought you liked the director. Um, uh, I'm mostly positive on Edgar Wright. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a fanboy of his. You know, I, I can see the good and the bad in some of his stuff. Some of his stuff is legitimately brilliant. I ver- Look, I don't think I can say a bad word about Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead if I tried. Right. And On so, the other hand, there's Baby Driver. <laughs> I actually haven't seen that. Um, and then the third, less, you know, third by a, a distant margin reason was it was either this or nothing because the other option was Antlers and I wasn't reviewing that. So. Yeah, I I know you were never going to review Antlers. I'm kind of looking. I don't know if I'm going to see it in um in theaters, but I'm definitely looking forward to watching it uh, at my earliest convenience. Whether don't that's me wrong, had you been like Guillermo del Toro, yet another director, I want to see this. You should review it. I would have made myself go see it. But given a choice between Last Night in Soho and Antlers, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go Last Night in Soho ten out of ten times. Then, yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, so. With that out of the way, I suppose we should get into the plot synopsis of this thing. Let's do it. So, a young Cruella DeVille. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking before this, and I said I had to write the page for this, and so I always have to set up links to other stuff. And I'm like, okay, so this is Edgar Wright. He also did Scott Pilgrim, did that. Um, Anna Taylor-Joy is in this. We did Glass. She's in that, and she's also in New Mutants. So those are good for those are good for this. And I almost went. I need a third film here. Corella. I I almost went Corella. And I'm like no. And I'm like no 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 no. Why not? <laughs> the, the loose association being they both have to do with fashion. They're both they both feature female protagonists, and we'll use air quotes around protagonist. 
They're both about fashion. They're both set in London, and they're both drenched in the crappy music that came out of the British '60s scene. You're, you're breaking yes, my yes, heart. I, yes, I am. <laughs> I that is a deliberate jab. <laughs> but please tell me, uh, this movie felt a little bit like somewhere along the line, Disney passed over right for Cruella, and he went, well, screw you. I've seen the script. I'll do it better. Okay. I will answer that by saying the following. I don't think it's... I, I think in, the, in terms of both of them using the 60s music, um that's fair to bring up i don't think it's fair to criticize this movie as it wasn't like cruella where it was wholly dependent on those in order to engender good feelings in the audience this the music of this movie was as much a character in it as anybody else in the movie yeah uh, look again i think he did it better yes he absolutely did it better but 100%. let's but let's not pretend that there's not <laughs> Like the comparisons are there for a reason. Fair enough. All right. So yes, a young Cruella Deville, <laughs> pre pre trauma. Uh, depending on who you talk to. Okay. So jokes aside, uh, we are introduced to our primary our our protagonist as such. I have very negative feelings about, but we'll get into that. Time <laughs> you say that, I just want to start screaming out. I'm the protagonist. Go ahead, do it. I'm the protagonist of this movie. There you go. The, the story. Thank you, John David Washington. Uh, Eloise Turner, she tends to go by Ellie. She's an aspiring fashion designer who lives out in the countryside in England and is schizophrenic, I suppose. I think she's clairvoyant. She's, she's a bit of a medium. She can kind of see... Uh, spirits, especially in reflective surfaces. She sees the ghost of her mother on occasion. What's the Holy Spirit activating? Please don't. <laughs> uh, she is accepted to the, what was it? The London College of Fashion. Uh, she goes, so she heads out to begin chasing her dream. She's romanticized London. That's a bad idea. Don't romanticize big, not just London. Not me shooting at London here. Don't romanticize any large city. Don't do it. It will only lead to bad things. So she goes there. She becomes roommates with uh, a not nice person. <laughs> Other adjectives I could use. I'm going with those. <laughs> uh, she's not. She doesn't really fit into dorm life. What with the bullying and the competitiveness and the constant partying, so she rents out another room in. Uh, Soho. And when she gets to her room, she starts having visions of the 1960s, and she's following around a specific woman, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, named uh, Sandy. And what follows is she becomes a bit more obsessed with trying to be like her, and following this young woman coming to London to be the next hit singer and this goes badly as it does for oh so many people in reality because dreams don't really come true that's why it's so special when that's why it's so special on the rare occasions they do fair enough uh she uses this uh, she uses some of her vision as inspiration for her fashion classes she starts breaking down because she starts seeing these um manifestations these spirits more and more and she starts freaking out um this tale of Sandy goes something like she ran into the doctor, in this case, Matt Smith, uh, who 
uh, allegedly was going to become her manager as she tried to become the next big singing sensation. Well, again, this tends to go badly. Uh, she winds up being just kind of a backup dancer and then eventually a whore. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, he literally pimps her out and her life goes downhill. And one of the culminating visions that uh, Eloise has is she believes she sees Sandy murdered. She also thinks she knows who Matt Smith, uh, his character's name is Jack. She believes she knows who he is in the, in the real world, in the contemporary world. As an old guy who hangs out at a bar she works at. She tries to confront him. This goes badly. He gets hit by a car, purely an accident. Uh, she decides she can't take it anymore. She's harassed by visions of faceless men ex uh, chasing her around. She's got visions of this poor woman who had her dreams ruined and her life ended prematurely and no one will listen to her. And why, oh, why won't you listen to the hysterical woman who claims that she has a vision of a murder from 1960? I wonder. Uh, she goes to leave, but in the course of, she goes to the police at one point, uh, and they do start poking around just a little bit. Her, it turns out her landlady is actually Sandy, who was not murdered by Matt Smith's character. She killed him in self-defense. And then, like you do, I suppose, turned into a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the old once you kill somebody you just can't stop. You well, know, look, she, she got a, you, she you got never a, have just one. She got a taste for it. Sure. And blood uh, is tasty as we all know. Filled with iron. Really is. And she was murdering some of the people who had previously solicited her and stuffing them under the floors and in the walls of this building that she owns. And now she tries to kill Elo she tries to kill Ellie because she knows her secret. She winds up stabbing Ellie's boyfriend. There's a big fight. There's uh, I hate this ending so much. I, I've like already kind of blocked part of it from my from my mind. Uh, but there's a big fight. Sandy eventually realizes bits of the error of her ways, but insists that every one of her murder victims deserved it. <laughs> to which our point of view character goes, I know. I mean... No. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, I'm no. going to let you finish. Uh, we can talk. Bad writing. <laughs> Bad writing. <laughs> Go sit in the corner. I mean, um, it didn't help that she was wearing a shirt that says hashtag me too. Just... <laughs> well, I, in, in the course I, of this... I can see your aneurysm. In the course of this final confrontation, a fire starts. Ellie and her friend and her boyfriend are saved. Uh, Sandy sits at the top, uh, sits on the her old bed at the top of this building and immolates. We then like, flash forward a little bit. We flash forward a little bit, and now Ellie is presenting her work as part of the annual fashion, as part of the fashion show for her class. It's well received. Everyone loves her because oh, isn't she just so brave? And she gets another bit of a vision of both her mother and then of Sandy and goes off to resume that habit of murdering men. I suppose I don't. <laughs> I look. There's something of a decent movie in here somewhere. The real there might be the writing for this is so bad. It's it's so bad to the, the extent to which this movie succeeds is based largely on the visual stylings of Edgar Wright. There's the story is crap. 
the performances aren't anything at all memorable. I mean, some of them border on the comical and not the intentionally comical. I don't know. I don't know who would be scared by some of the stuff that they come up with here. Most of the scary sequences don't work all that well in terms of trying to scare you. You more buy that the character uh, that Ellie is a little bit freak is freaked out by this than you are affected by it. It's very detached. This is not a movie that you invest in. I think as a general rule. Um, yeah, this was. I don't know. I it depends on it depends on who you are in the audience. You uh, may not have connected with you. But I can see this resonating with a lot of women. Not that any women saw this. Well, more <laughs> I <on> know. Later. <laughs> but, yeah. but for those women who might want to watch this at home on Netflix in the future, when it gets there in about 20 minutes. Um, I, so I I don't have a whole lot positive to say about this. So And I, I tend to think you might. Not just because I believe that's what one of the things you'd put out there uh, in the kind of the ether beforehand was you had mo some positive things to say so i will let you have the floor and then i will potentially rail against other elements of this after you do so i i hear you i, I see you robert winfrey no i hear what you're saying and i guess i hadn't thought that much about the story writing as it were the things that i were focusing on were very uh visual and aesthetic and i think for me that's what drew me in um so let me start there I, I enjoyed the story that they were telling. Um, I like this idea of you have a girl who has some degree of the um, parapsychological going on, clairvoyance, whatever her, her situation is. She sees dead people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and because of that, she's been sheltered and protected. And now she's going to London, a place where people get murdered on, you know, on a fairly regular basis. One of the so. one of the best lines in this movie actually comes from the old Sandy when she there was a girl who died in my room. It's London, sweetie. Someone's died in every room and in every street corner in this entire godforsaken city. You got yeah, to be a little more specific. This is this is the city that gave us Jack the Ripper, a man, you know, known for killing whores in the street. So, among others. So, anyway, um, so I like the idea of playing as a central premise. What if a girl who sees dead people goes to the big city and sees dead people? Well, how would that work out for her? Okay, interesting. As a sort of me too, um, as a sort of me too fable, you know, where a modern gal is seeing the past through the eyes of a girl who was manipulated and put out on the street and abused and traumatized and eventually driven to murder. Oh, I, so I, much murder. <laughs> oh, so much murder. Uh, I think as an elevator pitch, I'm with you so far. Um, I can see this being a passion project for Edgar Wright, who did in fact not only direct it, but also uh, was part of the screenplay writing and this was his actual story that he wrote. So like I, you know, his, his paw prints are all over this thing and I can absolutely see this as a passion project of his. I enjoyed the performances. Um, at, you know, first up is Anya Taylor joy. She's fantastic in this simply ravishing, just wonderful though to watch lights up the screen. Thomas and McKenzie as sort of a mousy, a uh, country girl overwhelmed by the overwhelmed by the experience. I think she does a fair job at that. You know, the woman is what she is, and I think she was doing what she was asked for in that role. Um, 
your your mileage on how well you tolerate her performance and her interactions with other with other actors in the movie may vary, but I I was okay with it. I my only my only thought here is I can see where her voice would grate on people's nerves. It's for me. This is going to sound really odd. It mm-hmm. was less her voice and more her accent. Okay. I and that's weird for me to say. I don't usually have a problem with accents, but something mm-hmm. about her is just kind of yeah, my my wife. This. My wife tends to fetishize anything British. And so, you know, a British accent or an Australian accent, and she's, you know, she she's a, a bucket of butter. Um, and so, and but that's not really me. I'm not. I mean, like, I, I think Cockney is kind of funny, but I, you I don't would. <laughs> but I don't get crazy over the British accent. And here, for some odd reason, like between the British accents, the like, aesthetic I, of I, London, I, I'm a little surprised the, you weren't more. Of, you're not more of the Scouse accent than the Cockney accent, but um, and the music, like. I was very much drawn into this movie, and I think that's why I came away with a positive feeling about it. Yeah, the 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 the, the final act kind of goes off the deep end, but I have seen so much worse, so much more off the deep end than like like this is less off the deep end than Candyman, and so I think with that experience being so soon, you know, so um so close to this, like oh, it's not that bad, <laughs> you know, it is it isn't completely disconnected it's... from the movie the way Candyman was. No, no, I think you're correct there. It's not, it's not tonally disconnected. Right. But boy, does it rely on the audience to make a very similar stupid leap of leap of moral logic. All right. So here's where I'm going to agree with you. There's a problem with the story structure. I don't believe the movie is can. The movie sets up rules for her superpower and and what it is she's able to do with it, and then breaks them when it was convenient. You know, if if she is seeing. If she's seeing the events as the events as they played out, she's in a sense time traveling, and then suddenly it isn't time travel anymore. It's a misperception of what all occurred. I'm not entirely sure how we got to that point. And what I mean by that is, you're led to believe that what she's seeing in the movie is what really happened to Anya Taylor Joy's char- character, and then suddenly it's not when it was convenient. Well, and then and then it just kind of turned into into a zombie ghost story and then at the end they set everything on fire and burned it down and i'm like all right i'm I'm, it's so funny i was so forgiving of this movie as stupid as the ending was because i was because it's only at the very end did it get that stupid i was enjoying it up to that point even the silly twist with the cop you know she thinks she thinks the old man that was that was was so horrible that didn't bother me but i'm just gonna Mm -hmm. say it that was horribly telegraphed she thinks the skeevy old man is Jack, and as it turns out, it's actually a uh, a vice detective, which a lost opportunity, I think, because they don't do anything with that character. He's in one scene where he's telling the Anya Taylor Joy well into her life as a whore, and he's like, "You can do better than this. You can be better than this." And then you never see him again, and then you're supposed to somehow feel something when he gets hit by a car and dies and it's like but why he did nothing in this movie he's in one scene and you're led to believe he's a john like it was a very weird i don't know why edgar wright thought it was necessary to do that twist but he didn't build it up enough or do enough with it for it to have mattered and it just seemed like a twist for the sake of adding a twist in there yeah it and again it was pretty horribly telegraphed if you pay attention to these things Mm mm-hmm but um, 
sticking with some of the, like I said, some of the other good points of it, other than, like I said, breaking with the with the rules as was set up at the beginning, you know, beginning of the movie, I just kind of let it go. I was like, I don't care enough at this point. It is what it is. Um, I think there's such an there's such a tonal shift also between the first and second act and the third act because the third Boy, act is well, there. The third act almost entirely becomes a bloody gore fest and, you know, and stabbing and everything else and zombies and, you know, faceless naked men coming out of the floorboards and everything. And it's a, it's very much, like I said, a meta, a metaphor for the me too movement, which I was fine with. I don't get hung up in that sort of thing. You know, that's uh, why if, if Edgar Wright wants to, wants to write a me, a me too uh, fable, let him write a me too fable. We can choose or not choose to go see it. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you as far as that goes. I don't object to it existing in the sense mm -hmm. that you know, how how dare this movie exist? Now, if you want to do this, knock yourself out. But, I know if uh, Ronnie were here right now, he would be saying, you know, get your politics out of my horror movie. But I mean, that you can only say that when well, the guy making the movie <laughs> interjected politics where there didn't need to be any. This was clearly the intention of this movie. It was the intention and horror movies the vast majority of them have political undertones and pretty much always have like sure. the way anyway it is. um yeah that you know you don't get any real horror elements in the first act and a half of this thing and then the second half of the second act it you know there's some allusions to it here or there but it, it's more it's more psychological thriller than it is horror movie and then the third act just goes full gore you know full bore full gore uh, full bore into the slasher stabby horror genre to the point it got ridiculous but i was having such a good time with the movie up until that point i didn't care anymore i was like like you know, it was kind of like well at some point edgar wright said and in the end we're gonna stab everything and set it on fire and burn it down and there's gonna be blood everywhere and i'm and it's like okay you took me on this ride. This is what you thought the conclusion was going to be. I'm willing to let you have your conclusion and not beat you up for it. It's just tonally, it's very jarring because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like easing you into it. It's just kind of, it just sort of happens. Um, But that being said, I, I was enjoying the fashion of this. The fashion, much like we joked about with Cruella, plays a major role in this, and I enjoyed the costuming. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the, some of the other side characters in this. So you have the bitchy, you know, the bitchy uh, competitive classmate. Uh, what was her name? Jocasta? Jocasta, yeah. And look, I have seen so much worse writing. Like, if you're going to beat her up, you know, beat up the writing on those characters, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's on you. I, 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 I mean, some, but, you know... For, my issue with the writing of those characters mm -hmm. is not so much that it's like uneven, mm -hmm. you know, in the sense, in the sense that potentially is, uh, is bad writing. It's more, did you put any effort into this, or did you copy paste a section of the Mean Girls script? Like that's what it feels like. Okay, and that's fair. I she very much felt like stock bully character. I I think I felt she was believable, and so I was willing to let. Oh, it go. those pe those people all. Those people exist. I'm not right. Uh, my issue again. My issue is not unbelievability or that she's some uneven character. Mm -hmm. It's more, you're a red shirt. Like, like not right. not in a body count kind of way, but in a you're gonna be here. You don't matter. Yeah. You nothing you nothing you do matters. Right. You they could have. I mean, they could have cut her from the script mm -hmm. entirely, and 
changed nothing. I did like Edgar Wright's kind of signaling, you know, at the beginning of it. There's a young black fella hanging out in front of the school and he's eating an apple, believe, believing possibly menacingly. I like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? right after she right after our poor innocent heroine was slightly lascivious at by a taxi driver. <laughs> right. So she gets to the school and yet another man, um, all their men and their penises, just you know, assaulting this poor girl as she just she wants to make dresses. Yeah, they're everywhere. You can't get away from it. It's like half the population is men. Yeah, so I don't understand how we got to be this way. Anyway, so he's out there being black and menacing and eating an apple, and it turns out he's going to be her boyfriend later on in the in the film. And it's and it's so funny if there's any character who I thought you know if you're going to start screaming about underwriting or stock writing, whatever, it's him. Yeah, because he, he's he once because he once again is just the picture of the what denuded a, male. What a limp noodle, right? Yeah, <laughs> a denuded what? male limp noodle. However, you this want to guy, describe it. I mean, he's. He's designing fashion, which is mm-hmm. uh, now. Let me be clear about the following. Hang on, Versace and Gucci. Before you say another word, let me say it. Okay. Not traditionally understood as a masculine profession. Hmm. Fair. Nothing wrong with it if you've got an eye for it and you've got talent and By fashion. By sheer volume, you are correct. There are more women fashion designers yeah. than there are men. And again, if this is what, it, to anyone out there listening to this on the off chance, mm-hmm. if you have a passion and a talent and a drive to do it, go forth. Don't let anyone tell you you can't because you're a man. It None of that changes the fact that it is not traditionally a masculine profession. Right. Again, not anything more than that. Hello, Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie ha- Ronnie Adams having some sort of conniption here. Are you okay? Just keep going, Robert. Okay. I, I think he's having audio issues. Yeah, I guess. So we've got, and then how does how do these two date? He kind of goes, you know, maybe we could hang out some. T- and what he's not pushy, and not only not pushy, but like he's not even basically assertive. Yeah, which is which is more the problem, I think. You don't have. He, he is the ideal male in a Me Too fable, not in any way. A, he is perceived to be, by virtue of his race and presence in that particular scene, menacing. But in no way is he in any way, um, uh, in any way, assaultive or violent or. Uh, there's a word I'm looking for here, but like. Don't talk about Matt Smith. No, 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 we're talking about the black kid that uh, <laughs> <laughs> poor this poor bastard. It's the accent. There's a lot, a lot more than the accent. A lot, a lot, yeah. a lot, yeah. But um, yeah, just like you know, inoffensive, just completely. You know, he's just like I'm just here to be an accoutrement to to your femininity. And as soon as you desire some sort of physical action, I will be very accommodating. And when you freak out as we're making out. I will run barefoot across broken glass, not complain assume, about that. And assume it's my fault. Which and was never the, resolved. And then the next time I see you, after pulling a John McClane, go, did I do something wrong? <laughs> That's just how guys are... Men. Men. Uh, yeah, it's just... It's, that's where I'm just going to leave it. That's I, how, how, I, how we're I portrayed in like, the movies. 
I feel like he was. I feel like this character was not written by a man. Like that's oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's all I've no. got there. <laughs> well, I mean, the other the other writer on the screenplay is um, uh, Christy Wilson uh, Cairns, and uh, let's just go ahead and assume she she she, I, uh, she created his character. I almost wonder if Edgar Wright wrote this script without him, and it was just a much more tight, more like kind of claustrophobic story about Ellie going nuts, mm-hmm. and. The contributions that we got from her were, well, could we have a love interest? I don't think the story needs a love interest. Well, he's not really going to be a love interest. He's just going to be there. Yeah, sure. Hey, hey, Robert, another film that I could have linked to this when I wrote the page for it. 1917. Want to know why? She has a written by credit for uh, along with Sam Mendes for 1917. Mm. Um, Doesn't have a whole lot of other credits, though. She's got a writing credit for which she was nominated and won. Uh, she was not. She was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for 1917. She was nominated by the for the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Original Screenplay, and she won a BAFTA Award for Outstanding British Film. This is only her second other credit, though. Um, for film. seems like seems like her and Sam Mendes jive a lot more than her and Edgar Wright did. Yeah, she's also got a television credit for season three of uh, Penny Dreadful and a bunch of short films. So anyway. Yeah, I can I can definitely be, you know, Edgar Wright just sort of, you know, giving her the green light. Like, here, you you write a characterization for this boyfriend character. And it's like, okay, well, this is a this is a woman's story, you know, and we're talking about the evil that men do. And so yeah, I can absolutely write, as you call them, a, a limp noodle. Let's get Ronnie in into the discussion here. Ronnie, um, I don't know where you land, probably with Robert given some of the comments you made to me privately. But I <laughs> there's a lot of things, there was a lot of praise that I, I sang here. I just I made one of, comment. Just just to kind of catch you up real quick, like in 50 words or less, and then I'll give you your say. Okay. I liked like two thirds of this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It gets a little silly in the third act and um, not as silly as Candyman, but definitely kind of silly. Um, but between the look of the fashion, the music, the acting and the story that they were getting at and the themes of it, I, I was having a good time with this and I could forgive the silliness at the end. What say you? I Actually, I agree with you on that. Uh, when it first, when I first sat down, I really, honestly, I did no research going into this movie, so I had mm-hmm. no idea what I was really in for. Uh, um, I, I thought it was going to be another like the Lake House or whatever that was with Keanu Reeves and and uh, whoever else was in that. I can't. Remember. <laughs> it's been a long time uh, since on. I've seen that. If you're speaking about the Lake House, it was Sandra Bullock. Yeah, there we go. I I, I couldn't remember if she was actually in it or, or mm-hmm. if I was just dreaming that. That was uh, their, you know, that was their first on screen pairing since Speed. Yeah, 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 and it was just—I uh I mean, like I thought it was going to be like you know she dreams her way into the sixties and falls in love or whatever. I had no idea that I was in for like a horror movie. Well, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a horror movie. So that made me happy because I went to see it on Halloween Day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. One, uh, but it was an interesting plot. It was an interesting way to uh, take on this, and you know. Um, it was cool to see that they recognized that she had power, that this weird power or, you know, whatever uh, her grandma said she had it and everything. I was like, okay, so they recognize it. So that means they're not going to have to go back and do a lame explanation of why she has this right. or why she's, you know, why experiencing am I these, this. Yeah. Why or, am I having these visions? We could just skip that part. She knows. You, right. So, um, so I was, I was down with it. And then, 
Um, it got to, you know, the last, the final act where, um, all these men that were taking advantage of her, you know, uh, treating her like a prostitute because she was being prostituted. Um, you almost felt sorry for them mm-hmm. for you being felt sorry for the Johns. Yeah. For being let, you know, uh, lecherous and, and, and knowing they knew what they were getting into. And then all of a sudden like, Oh, help us. And I'm like, wait, what? And it, it was, it was, it was odd. It was really out of. Uh, I'm going to completely disagree with you in that particular respect. I, I was okay with them being sympathetic characters at that point. Mostly because, hang on, in the following way, okay? I, hang on, does anyone else recognize the cognitive dissonance of three middle-aged men discussing, you know... Dude, <laughs> you and I talked about, see our discussion on Jessica Jones. Like, we've done this already, we've accepted the reality of this being weird. I, I just needed to point it out, like, I'm not ending the podcast, but like, how dare right. three how dare three men with penises discuss such a vagina story? Like, no, I'm like, let's have this discussion, it's fine. I just someone's going to make the comment. So um, let me just jump in front of that train for them and be like, we know, we know. Here's my on that. Okay, go ahead. Jump on the show with us then. (laughs) We, if you, if you're listening, we are are live. Feel free to participate in the comments section, wherever you happen to be. Yeah. If you're watching live on Twitch, give us a follow. Get notified when we go live. Mark will put your comments up on screen. We will interact with you. Absolutely. Right. We've done it before. All right. Yeah. So men who Point sleep being, with prostitutes are angels. Go. I didn't say angels. <laughs> Look, when, when Anya Taylor-Joy kills Matt Smith in self-defense because he's a psycho trying to stab her in the neck. <laughs> right. Good. Right. He deserved that. You try to kill someone, you wind up dying. You've kind of got that coming. Hoisted by your own petard. 100%. I'm less sympathetic to the point that all men who solicit prostitutes should be violently gutted. I didn't say that. But I also know that um, where they were and what they were doing, they had to know that some of these girls you know they didn't have a choice let me ask you guys a question it's it's sort of a nuanced argument that i'm going to make but if we're going to go down this road let's go ahead and have this discussion because i think robert's point is valid the simple act of engaging in prostitution in and of itself i don't think i don't think is morals and religion and cinicide as a simple act of of meeting a basic human need through virtue of commerce i don't think is particularly wrong i don't want to get into the biblical implications of it or any of that that's a whole no. other discussion i'm I, not i'm not okay okay no, no, sorry. But, there's, but there's a point that i'm bringing I, i'm i'm yeah sure i'm going with this so if you're so if the argument is hey she at some point willfully engaged in being a prostitute and they willfully engaged in soliciting a prostitute, it was an agreed upon bargain of of uh, mutually consenting adults, and then she turns around and kills them because she feels um, she feels abused and traumatized by the situation. Okay, I kind of see the point you're making, um, but I think the Im- implication that Edgar Wright is going with is that 
while she may have physically participated, it was mentally against her will, and mm -hmm. therefore, it, it, and therefore, this is this is a revenge story. These men took advantage of this woman who maybe could not summon the strength to pull herself out of that situation. And every in every interaction with a guy like that, you know, engaging in, in um, prostitution was an affront and an attack on her person. And finally, she just erupts in violence. That's right. clearly what Edgar Wright's going for here. <laughs> I, if it's not I, patently obvious to I, you know I, the audience, I'm not I, saying. God, go ahead. No, no, God. One okay. of you, go ahead, Ronnie. Go. I'm not going to say that. I'm not saying. I'm. I'm not taking up for her or, or saying, "Yay, murder was the way to do this." But I'm also <laughs> saying, <laughs> I'm also saying that at some point, you have to. I mean, like I have to admit, I'm the only one that I can. I can say this about you know that I have to do this because it's where I am on this. These guys knew. They weren't going to some somebody on the street. They were going. They weren't going to uh, almost a willing participant. They were going to basically a prostitution mill, where mm -hmm. they found new girls every week and they chose from or whatever. Um, it's just like everybody. You know, they know that these girls were high, drunk. There be you know because they had to be because they they were being forced to be, mm -hmm. um, and that's where I'm like I don't want to feel sorry for these guys for what they were in involved in okay also don't but think you feel you know, made it, too because they were murdered right okay and and it, it's you know i don't want anybody to be murdered it, well Matt Smith it was kind of the, like you know the, i guess of the three of us i kind of i was with the movie's point of view is they all had it coming and i agreed with the movie right or yeah wrong. right right it, 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 they kind of do um like like i said I'm not I'm not cheering on you know murder or anything, but in, as from a movie standpoint, they knew what they were getting into, so they kind of had it coming. All right, Robert, go ahead. Yeah, I'm. Here's my problem with that, and this is a real. You get into the most ridiculous circular logic with what you can defend in this case. Okay. So if if the young black man who was her who was Ellie's boyfriend had had a pair. And killed the old woman. The old woman, instead of mm -hmm. being stabbed repeatedly and then miraculously surviving, losing half of the blood in his body, is that justified because she was a serial killer? No. And then, okay, can we all agree that serial that murder is worse than soliciting prostitution? Multiple murders, significantly worse than even a singular murder. Multiple premeditated murders. <laughs> like she lured these poor dumb bastards into this into her place and then violently murdered them. Mm -hmm. Locked, denied any sort of closure for their families by keeping the bodies hidden. Violated so many building codes uh, <laughs> structures as well with what she had to do. To God forbid. To <laughs> like the point here, this is not a good person. Well, that you didn't. I mean, I didn't say whether she deserved what she got or not. She absolutely did. She absolutely did. But did I think she deserved to do it her own way? Absolutely not. Um, would you the guy should have had a pair happier if all the if all the guys soliciting prostitutes had just had a piano fall on them? Oh, me? 
No, I was talking to Ronnie. Okay. Ronnie, Ronnie's contention is he kind of feel bad. He kind of feels bad for the John she murdered. If you, I'm, you, you I don't want to feel bad for either one of them. Okay. I feel bad for her for being forced into that situation. Okay. But I also don't want to be. I, I, you know, I don't want. I, you know, obviously, my. You know, anybody in a situation like that, you're you're going to to feel some sort of, um, uh, something. You know, whatever I'm looking. I, I, I'm sorry. Like I said, I just woke up. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie was sleepy bear tonight. <laughs> this movie's fine. This movie's great. I'm going back to bed. Um, you're, you're you're going to feel you're going to feel sorry, you know, uh, uh, for somebody in that situation. Sympathy. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, you're going to feel sympathy for for somebody in that situation, of course. And she is she is a sympathetic character in that light. Sure. Um, as far as luring guys into their murder, no, she's guilty of that. But also yeah. on the other side, it, it's this is not a this is not a black and white for me. Let me. I don't want to feel bad for those guys, but do do I feel do I feel? Before um, you came, hang on. Before you came on the show tonight, I was using the word fable, and when I think mm -hmm. of fables, modern fables, let's talk about Quentin Tarantino and the um, what's the the World War Two one where they where he kills all the Inglorious Bastards. Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I almost said hateful eight. I'm like, I know that's not right. That's but not like, right. In, <laughs> Inglorious Bastards is this fable where he gets to live out the uh the fantasy of killing hitler you know, yeah. of, you know of killing nazis in cold blood and you know you want to get into sort of a moral debate over whether or not the, the rank and file had it coming or you know were they slaughtered uh in cold blood and and should not have been and should have been treated more humanely because they they were just the rank and file. They were not, you know, they were not the architects of the third of the um, of the Holocaust. And again, you're with you're with Quentin Tarantino and his point of view. You're with the movie because isn't it, you know, isn't it fun to live out this fantasy of killing what we can mostly all agree on were, you know, was an evil regime. Yeah. And I think I think that follows for Last Night in Soho, where the point of view of the movie is, you know, uh, manipulating women into prostitution is probably bad, <laughs> and mm -hmm. those who engage in said thing have it coming when these women turn on them. Yeah. So I'm They're, not totally understanding what I'm getting where, at is I, how we got into this. How we got into I, the swamp. I feel same. I feel sympathy for her, okay. and on a on a uh, amoral justice standpoint, I cheer her on. Okay. But supposed to. she flipped her. She flipped the script, right? And right. she wanted to kill the. She wanted to kill our girl, right? Because she went to the cops. So right. now she is just trying to cover up something honestly illegal she did. So right. now she's no better than the Johns and everybody before her because she now she's trying to kill innocent people. I'm gonna to go out on a limb did. and say she was always worse because murder is worse than solicitation. It's all bad. Now that and, that's and, where I'm going to say, like nothing is worse than the other, I guess you could say. No, I'm considered bad, but um, I'm going to go out again. This might be a little bit of a limb I'm out on, but uh -huh. a serial killer is morally worse than someone soliciting a prostitute. Well, I no, I, I can't so, say okay, that it can, is. Can we? Okay, what does this in any way have to do with your enjoyment or non-enjoyment of the film in terms of how well made this film was or was Because not? I saw it coming. 
at the third act when it started. Oh, yeah. I saw it coming. I was like, oh, man, now they're going to be like, oh, help us. And he literally said, help us. And I was like, well, I called that. Okay. And so then, so well, the impression I'm getting from you is you thought the third act was a bit hackneyed? A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and I would have rather seen her boyfriend just grab a fire poker and knock the knock the old bird out. And yeah, then not, turn her into the, the cops. That's not, look. That's not. That's not the theme of this movie. The theme of this movie is that you know I am woman. Hear me roar. Redemption. All men are. All men are. All men have penises and are terrible. <laughs> and redemption. <laughs> I was. I was going to go for the redemption gig. You know, There's, she, she found not, herself. She redeemed herself by sitting in the fire. You know, uh, I'm not going with that as redemption. <laughs> um. Yeah. I think. I, I think she. she she was like a million years old. You may not like, go well, with that as redemption, but that's what I, I can either for. die in a fire and not go to prison, or I can go to prison, which is worse. At nine hundred years old. Yeah, you know. I mean, so. if she look, she if you if you wanted to go for a redemption angle here, she needed to give uh, Ellie like the cure for the poison she gave her. Like, like mm-hmm. there needed to be something other than don't don't stay here and die with me you can't save me go live your life like no can can i ask like an obvious question to you ronnie did you like the movie not like the movie is is your enjoyment of the movie uh hindered by the fact that you saw the third act coming (laughs) no um i was a little disappointed more than i was like upset at it okay you know i enjoyed up uh, up to then even in at the point there was still enjoyment in it you know just saying oh uh but i knew she, I, you know at that point i knew uh elliot was going to get out uh of the building i i didn't know if her boyfriend was going to make her or not but 99.9 percent so sure he was okay uh but well, look, um, look you want to make this movie better everyone dies in the end let's go full shakespeare here <laughs> just the whole, all everyone dies in the fire Mm-hmm. No, no, I can't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what no. didn't you like? What didn't you like about the movie, Ronnie? Just what, that or, point, or what Just did you think point. was poorly done about the movie? Well, I mean, as soon when everything was going, and as soon as I knew what was what was going to happen, um, I knew it was kind of a uh, in Mark Mark Radulus terms, I'm woman Henry War movie, <laughs> but I. <laughs> The only point that did the just the poorly written third act. Mm-hmm. I say poorly written, but it, you know, I, I guess you can call it that. I, I just didn't enjoy that as much as I re- did the rest of the movie. As far as it goes, the rest of the movie was actually pretty good. Um, it's funny. I, I don't know who. I, I don't know. I don't know who this was aimed towards. Like, it, clearly, it's aimed at people who are like you know Edgar Wright fans and horror fans. But you know, it's weird because like it's a very it's a very feminist movie, you know. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very feminist movie in the pro pro woman movie in the sense of, hey, just because a man takes your power from you doesn't mean you can't take it back. I don't really right. want to get into the moral implications of murder. Let's just go with she took her power back, right? Um, right. Yeah, you know. But then there's this twist on it where it's just like, well, I did these things, and I but I don't want to be caught doing it because I know at the end of the day it's still illegal. So well, I'm going it isn't to... the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> so I'm going to attack our real hero of this picture. So I think my who is just kind of... as cute as a button. <laughs> she, she I I think she's adorable. I really do. I think going back to Robert's point before you came out of the podcast was the biggest problem I think this movie has is its structure. It's really uneven and muddled. 
And as I say out loud, like, you know, we're sitting, we've spent the last 20 minutes now debating, you know, the, um, debating whether or not the Anya character, whether or not, look, look, let's simplify this. Is a hero or not. Is it a good idea to ask your audience to sympathize with, empathize with, and root for a serial killer and present Mm -hmm. them as a good person? This isn't a complicated question. The answer is no. You know, I I almost think like you, I think Edgar Wright kind of had this vision of his head of what, you know, if you remember the movie with um, Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis, Natural Born Killers, there's a scene with Rodney Dangerfield. It's a really, really gross um, lecherous scene where he is molesting her in his underpants. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Rodney Dangerfield. So it's somewhat funny because he kind of makes like this face. You know, um, <laughs> but but it's also, you know, but it's also gross and horrifying and you feel bad for Juliet Lewis, obviously. So when he kills her late, when he when she kills him later on, we're like, yay, Juliet Lewis for killing for killing the incestuous rapist. OK, cool. Um, but I think Edgar Wright, like, sees a, a scene like that and goes, how can we take Rodney Dangerfield molesting Juliet Lewis and turn it into a zombie horror scene? <laughs> <laughs> case in point uh the movie after house of thousand corpses it's it's namely devil's rejects devil's rejects at the end of that i watched the devil's rejects because i'm an idiot uh i i i don't mean this as a negative i sincerely hope you had a shower afterwards i did absolutely with it was gross with his clothes it, on it, it, yeah it's, it's one of those movies. up in the corner crying it, it's designed to make you feel gross yeah um, except for the end scene where they're all beat up and they're in a, in that, in the, they that charge, they, they charge and they the charge the cops to, as, to free bird, to free bird. <laughs> and I'm like, this is awesome. Are they going to make it? This is no, they're awful. Why am I cheering them on? And I, yeah. and that's when I ended up in the shower crying, like, <laughs> you know, it's, was fully clothed. Um, uh, I actually do really appreciate that scene from that movie because oh, it's, it's an amazing scene. It, it's it's designed to make you ask the question. It's presenting these people that we know are the worst human beings and making you go, well, maybe you should root for them. And you do a little bit almost out of Stockholm syndrome. Like I follow right. these people through two movies at this point. Mm-hmm. And I am compelled and I must root for them. It, these are the same idiots. Uh, who get tricked into rooting for Dexter. Dexter's not a good person. Never was. Dexter uses his powers for good. And for more on Dexter, <laughs> check out Robert's Everyone Loves a Bad Guy this Sunday when Dexter New Blood airs on show on Showtime. I almost Look. signed up for Showtime just for that. <laughs> I mean, uh, what's another another good example? Vic Mackey's not a good guy. Right. You root like he is interesting, and so you as a viewer are interested, but those shows at least never put you in the position where you morally agree with what these terrible human beings are doing. And that's it's a huge mistake that this movie makes. Mm-hmm. This woman murdered however many men. And and we're supposed to cheer for this. Walter I, White is not a good person. No, okay, so he is I, not. So I think the, ma- the the movie's major problem is that it wants you to go along with the story that um, it presents no redeemable characters that except well, Tom, for Eloise. I was going to say, what's wrong with Eloise? Like Thomas and Mackenzie, 
Well, you're, you're, you're led to believe. Hang on, you're led to believe that she is seeing, you know, through second sight, the life of Anya Taylor Joy, and you're led to believe that this woman was put upon and abused and traumatized, and then in the end was just defending herself when she killed Jack. And you're with her the whole way, whole and way. then because, and then, and and if the, and if the movie just kind of stops there, you know, or presents it as. But it was still murder and murder is bad. And then she's like, you know, I didn't want to have to do this, but now you have to die because I'm not an old woman and I'm not going to prison. I think it's a more straightforward narrative that, you know, that you can then go along with. I think because they start to muddle the morality of it all in that yeah. third act. I, I went into you, you, you end up like, well, how am I supposed to now feel about this other than I don't want the one character who did nothing wrong in this entire movie? to get killed right well i got i mean I, I don't know if i was popcorn drunk or just got it comfortable but i did not see the fact that she killed him mm -hmm. coming that was a bit of a twist for me and, I, and and then everything clicked after that i was like oh oh this is what's going to happen and this that's is terrible the, but that's what i was getting at before <laughs> like i think when it's when it's a story about jack and diane uh, with Jack and uh, what is her actual name? In this? Uh, Jack and Sandy. Jack and Sorry. Two American kids living in the heartland. Holy spirit activate. Sorry. Um, that was an hour ago. <laughs> anyway. Um, what did I tell you about dancing? <laughs> Two more. <laughs> um, when it's a story about Jack and Sandy, I think you have a much tighter, much more focused, much more interesting script. When it became when it became zombie horror schlock at the end, I think Edgar Wright was doing what a lot of directors do, which is giving into his worst impulses. That is the last thing I'm going to say about this. Mm. I two thirds of this movie is solid and focused, you know, and has a point of view and is everything I like about a movie. And then the the last third is a, is a is a very artsy director giving into his worst impulses and cocking up the entire film. In retrospect, mm. Ronnie, your last bit, and then Rob cleans us out. And we're moving on. Go. Uh, <laughs> you said it's only a part of it is just where, like, they're like, oh, help us. And I'm like, oh, well, piss. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's take it home. And then right. she, you know, turns into Darth Vader you know <laughs> at the end of it and, and the, sequel, just... the sequel is going to be her with a bunch of prosthetic arms and a rebreather <laughs> and go, no <laughs> um but uh but the the nice little you know her taking her mother's place at the end was just one another one of those kind of like jabs that you know like ah yeah that's there to stay isn't it um so instead of seeing her mom she sees a serial killer who gives her a little wink and a little you know a little boop on the snoot at the end and um and then you're stuck with it uh up till then it was okay now now i feel like that i've been taken advantage of um for my money you should lure theater owners and uh, screenwriters into your home, and then kill them with a knife and bury them. Robert, Robert, one podcast where we're not planning a murder. Robert, no, don't, don't give me away like that, man. <laughs> um, Robert, your last, your your final thoughts, and then hey, we Ronnie and I. I'm going to leave you out of this discussion. Ronnie and I have to quick talk about the music. All right. Uh, fair enough. Um. Yeah. This. 
it's not that there's nothing good about this movie. Uh, the acting is all mostly passable. Nothing here is great, but it's all passable. Right. Uh, the costume design... I, I actually like the way that they designed a lot of Ellie's costuming. She's doing a a poor modern take on vintage 60s and 70s stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes across very well in some of the choices that were made there. So good for that. The dialogue writing for this is very much uninspired. It gets the point across, but it's not, there's, there's nothing of real note here. It lacks flair. Um, visually, Ooh. a lot of things lack flair these days. <laughs> Sadly, not SmackDown. Oh my God. <laughs> uh visually there's some real there is actually some interesting stuff here visually they do some great stuff with uh paying attention to certain reflections at different points in time some of the flashback sequences are really i mean the entire introductory sequence to her flashback uh that one in the cafe du paris uh that's great like Mm. that whole sequence great genuinely good stuff um matt smith as kind of a dickhead pimp okay i'll buy it sure uh, he, he gave off smarmy very well very very uh, well let me interrupt you just one second just to say this matt smith is a wonderful actor i really believe that but his face makes me uncomfortable continue he, he has hap- how did he capture how does he manage to get doughy and skinny combined how does he look like a melted candle yeah his it's his it's his brow his brow is very prominent and very forward mm. Yeah, he has he has very much almost like a Neanderthal brow, but like boyish, like like boyish in the eyes and nose and mouth, and, and then, then like then, a, and, and, sunken, and, and, and then, then a, sunken in the cheeks, yeah, and Frankenstein jaw. Yeah, I'm I'm like, hoping his agent sends him this now and be like, hey, <laughs> three neck beards had some issues with your face, actor. Yeah, was, you were, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Look, if if we're going to insult Matt Smith, let me do it properly, sir. You were a step Look. down from David Tennant, and everyone knows it. Oh wow! That that Wait. wow. <laughs> Go on. I don't even watch oh. Doctor Who, when I know that would take him back in a heartbeat over the current Doctor. But that's a writing issue, not a Jodie Whittaker issue. Uh, I don't watch Doctor Who. You're ne- again. Get neither do. With it. Yes. Get over there. Yeah, has Mark never had to use that on you? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm sorry. No, oh god, you're good, man. You're good. So Loki. Yeah, yeah. That's our second one. Uh, <laughs> the ending, I think, is a real problem for this. I don't think they knew how they wanted to end this tonally or morally or what stance they wanted to take. Um, mm-hmm. The twist, such as it exists, is very telegraphed to anyone who watches these kinds of movies. As soon as we see the alleged murder scene between uh, Sandy and Matt Smith, you know the old guy's not the killer. Right. Because, yeah, yeah. Because he's, she scratched, like, he, she cuts him on the, uh, like, very visibly while defending herself on the face. And the old guy doesn't have a scar. Right. So yeah, it's very obviously not him. It feels like they wanted to use red herrings, but didn't look up how to properly use red herrings. Like this is, this is not a tight script. I would um, say that Terrence Stamp is old and wrinkly enough to not notice a scar or not. I mean, God bless him. He he turned in a he turned in one of the best performances this movie has to offer. 
He's good. Uh, I, I had. Uh, you guys mentioned you didn't really have a problem with Ellie. I had a minor problem with her. She just Bit of a as a up. as a character, she's a bit shrill for no like and they try to play that off because oh god hallucinate you're hallucinating faceless men coming at you so you can be shrill and mousy and flighty and try to stab someone in the face with scissors i'd be all three no, of those things and face no repercussions yeah and, that, i never thought about that like <laughs> um look we as the audience know you're having a met like Worst case scenario, you're having a mental episode. You still tried to stab somebody. Yeah. That I mean, come on. Who hasn't tried to stab a coworker or a classmate in the face? I'm not saying no one can empathize. I'm saying there are consequences. <laughs> I mean, depends. I, look, look, the place I was... where I work right now, I guarantee you if one person tries to stab another person in the face, the person up being stabbed in the face will be the one blamed for it. For driving said person to insanity. Well, sure. When I tried to stab someone, in, <laughs> the last time I tried to stab someone in the library, I was at least asked to leave the premises for a few hours. <laughs> Go ahead, Ronnie. You want to I have, a, I have, I have one thing with your logic because I know where you work. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just talking about the not, not, the, not, not the people we're servicing. I'm yeah. talking about the workers. Oh, okay. Never mind then. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so uh, it's i've just i i struggled to root for her in Mm. no small part because she does what a lot of unfortunately written horror protagonists do they make stupid decisions over and over and over again and then go but why the thing that i the the thing that i came away with when i was thinking about this review was at, at a minimum i didn't feel i felt the movie was at least unique I mean, no movie these mm-hmm. days is truly unique. There's only so many stories out there. Allow I mean, me to point you to a movie starring, I believe, Kevin Bacon called A Stir of Echoes that this movie I mean, draws heavily from. We've only had 120 years of talkies. It's fine. But I felt like... <laughs> I, I felt like... Talkies! <laughs> Mark, Mark remembers when the talk... when Mark was part of the pitch meeting where someone said, we can make these things talk, and a Hollywood producer went, who would want to hear an actor talk? And then That's they were thrown I, out the window. I was there at the time. Um, this is old as I am. And he, I, I truly then had to my... try and deal. Poor you, you counseled poor Lon Chaney Senior, <laughs> whose career was ended as soon as people had to listen to his voice. I truly felt this was a unique film, very much off the beaten path from the regular kind of film that's out there. And I, and I, I suppose on a yeah, long true. enough timeline with enough depth and search, you can find twenty films similar to this. But I, but I think on average, for the kind of stuff we're talking about on this podcast, I really felt like you and Ronnie would at least come away with it. Well, there's something you don't see every day, right? Or yeah, I was, I was happy because it was different. I was That's happy. Yeah. There, okay. So this is the first week uh, or weekend that my theater here in town has shown every screen has had a movie on it that is from this year. Or um, did the theater didn't get Ghostbusters? No, I was really disappointed. Uh, now I, that's that's I different. Didn't. I wish I had. To, wish I had. Yeah, that I was really disappointed that, that Ghostbusters wasn't there. But that's different, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about like they were struggling to find movies to show. 
Right. Okay. And then Robert. they were, you know, they were dipping into people's DVD, you know, <laughs> catalogs just to show something. They're like, oh, we're, we're going to show Debbie's home movies and you know, her trip to Mexico. Right. I thought it was like, you know, it's like, oh, here's an art house movie. No, no, that was just some lady going to Mexico. And yeah, know. I would. I, I am so sad that with all the re airings of old classic movies from the tw- that we got last year and then the big chunk of this year, you know, when theaters are like, well, nothing's being released. Here's Jurassic Park. Here's Jaws. Yeah. Here's the Indiana Jones franchise, all of which I loved, by the way. Yeah. I was happy to see all of them on big screen, in some cases for a second time. Could no one have licensed out Roadhouse for a big screen re-airing? I would have watched the crap Roadhouse. out of that. I'm, right. I'm in, I, uh, North Carolina would have gone crazy for that. And West Ro- Virginia. Ten words or less. Go, Robert. Finish. Get over the finish uh, line already. Finish line. <laughs> this yeah, I, I did not very much enjoy this. I get what you guys are saying about it being a break from the traditional sort of Hollywood dreck that is largely released. We are here, Mark. Every week, you can't tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> if we didn't call this show Damn You Hollywood, it would be called Documenting the Drek. Yes, or it really would, actually. And in fact, if we ha- if we have to, ch- if any sponsor wants us to change because you don't want to don't want to be associated with a show that has a curse word in it, we will change to Documenting the Drek. Yep. in a heartbeat. <laughs> All right, Ron, uh, Ronnie, let me tell you about the music in this movie. I know um, Robert wasn't a huge fan. We had the same issue with Corella. Um, before you came on, I, I mentioned that I thought this movie was superior in its use of the music, where it really, it isn't just slapping a popular song in a space in order to engender good feelings so people will come out yes. of the movie and have a good time. I really felt like the music played an played a, a, a um an aesthetic place in the telling of this story there are some great songs in here that i was bebopping in my chair i was having a grand old time hearing the walker brothers land of a thousand dances oh. and hearing like anya taylor joy dancing to it the way she was oh my god so sandy, cool. sandy shaw there's always something there to remind me the uh, the original version of um I got my mind set on you, which I had forgotten was actually a cover. Uh, Literally, the song "Last Night in Soho" by Davy. Right, Davy um, D. Dozy, Beaky Mick and Titch. Correct. Um, I practiced uh, for this show. <laughs> Happy House by Susie and the Banshees. Oh, Susie! Yeah, Susie and the Banshees. Anyway, if you're like me and you and Ronnie and you enjoyed the music of "Last Night in Soho," <laughs> did you know? Did you know that well, we were giving away a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service, Ronnie? Pay them bills, Mark. Um, <laughs> Look, even if you're like me and you're extremely ambivalent to somewhat misanthropic about that era of music and some of the songs that came out of it, use Amazon Music to find stuff you do like. It will be there. That's correct. They have a deep, <laughs> wide even, catalog. Even the stuff that Robert likes is there. A lot of it. A uh, deep wide catalog of uh, music from every generation you can possibly think of, going all the way back to the talkies and into the future <laughs> with nerd uh, Nintendo car or whatever the hell the kids are calling it these days. Anyway, click the link in our description at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. And you too can boot scoot around the house to land of a thousand dances or land of a thousand wrestlers, you pencil neck geek. Remember that one, Ronnie? I do. 
You gotta know how to phony. That's all I had on that. I remember. (laughs) And on that note, good job, Ronnie. Uh, we have a new money theme because we are now monetized on YouTube. I don't know if both of you knew that or not, but we are currently raking in the dollar dollar bills, y'all, which means no more copyrighted music. So blasted with blasted with pennies. That's what we are. (laughs) So here it is, folks. Here comes the money. And Wait. I really, I, I really Wait. do. I, I really no, do before you to, say anything, okay. it was the Spanish subtitles. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's what does it. That's what makes that thing work. <laughs> Mark sent me that. Said this is our new theme because we don't need to trigger cop the the copyright bots. We don't need to get DMCA'd. He sent me that, and I went. You know the subtitles make that work. And he said it's the only one I could find on YouTube. Shut up. I I spent an hour and, and got Donald at the window angry because I could not find a legitimate like in the public domain copy so of the Gold Digger song. And I just said, fuck it. Let me just go on YouTube and see what I can find. And I saw that clip and I'm like, perfect. Hopefully this doesn't trigger Including anything. Including the look, it was the Sp- and again, the Spanish subtitles, man. That's what does it. Mm-hmm. There's another clip oh, of the wow. same bit, and it goes back a little bit further, though, where he's actually talking about like making a really stupid stock trade. Oh, mm-hmm. um, but I, that's not what we needed. We just needed that part <laughs> of wearing the money. All right. I had to cut my mic off to clear out my throat. <laughs> <laughs> not die. We aim to please. All right. Oh, man. So this movie, on a $43 million budget um, as of Monday, uh, this thing came out um, October 29th. And actually had its debut September 4th, 2021 at, I believe, the Venice uh, International Film Festival. Sure. Um, Why so not? Competing for prizes. Anyway, it had it's had its worldwide debut October 29th, uh, 2021. And as of this recording, the Monday after, it has made $6.5 million on a $43 Mark, million dollar budget, which means, you know what that means, Robert? I means I get to laugh at you in a second, but play your sound bit. It is, this movie is currently... Why is it so excessive? <laughs> the real question is, why is it so loud? I, I I almost feel like I have to apologize to our headphone wearers after that. Each time. No, here, here's Mark. Here's what I have to laugh at you about. Yes, sir. You recall last week, mm-hmm. not even a full week, not even a week ago, a mere six days on Damn You Hollywood for Dune. Yes. When I said, I think Dune will repeat. Mm-hmm. And you said, but you don't understand. Last night in Soho, and people like Edgar Wright, and I'm looking at this movie that has made less that made less than Antlers, and I almost <laughs> want to demand an apology from you. It didn't even open in the top five. And Dune, meanwhile, despite a 62% drop, did what? It reaped. The cricket apologized for me. You you need a better clip for for someone getting on the soapbox than the crickets. <laughs> no, no, we'll no. Have, no, it's we'll perfect. To, Just a giant we'll find cricket. one. Okay. We'll, we'll find one for you. Okay. But... In, in look, I will be gracious and admit when I'm wrong, I'm the only one that does so. 
Oh, Honor. come on. I always... <laughs> when have I ever admitted, not admitted when I'm wrong? So, Robert, from <laughs> me to you, sincerely... God, get this man away from the board. <laughs> I know. As soon as he got that back, we all knew what we were in for. <laughs> My my great joy in life is that I know that every time I play a sound clip, Alexis dies a little inside. <laughs> Why is there so many of my little pony clips? Because because Mark wishes he were Pinkie Pie. <laughs> Mark, are you a brony? He, no, 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 not part of, not as in part of the subculture, but as in he really wishes that around his house were a trombone that he knew how to make the sad <laughs> trombone sound on. Uh, I played trombone in high sets. school and I still didn't know how to do that. <laughs> Moving That's on. Clearly All right. So, here's, so Halloween weekend, here's how things uh, played out. Dune was the number one movie for a second weekend in a row and is tearing up the charts, making all the money despite being day and date on, on um, HBO Max. It was the it number really, one movie again. For, for a movie that was released the way it was, mm -hmm. this is a wild success. Yeah, this is a rousing I, success. I can't... Okay, I'll, I'll admit it. I've tried multiple times to watch Dune on HBO Max. And while I'm captivated by it, I really am. I think I think I, I'm going to love it. I can't finish it on a small screen. I want you're, to watch it on the big screen. You're not alone. That is a movie that I think. I think part of the reason it did so well is again it had a pretty significant drop, but I think that it held on so well because a lot of people like you, or even like me, who saw it on the small screen. In my case, in a bit of a rush job to make sure I could watch it in time to review it. Yeah. Then looked at that and went. Boy, I want to see that the way it's meant to be seen, and went to see it in the theaters. I, mean, I, addressed, not... a, I addressed a coworker publicly to demand she go see it on an IMAX screen, <laughs> nice. and then and then and then harassed her at work about it. And like, nothing. here, I I mentioned you on a podcast, and like showed her my phone. Not nothing like peer pressure. <laughs> nothing at all. Um, Halloween Kills in its third week maintained its spot in the number two. This is the fun. By the way, this Good. might be the funniest top ten we've ever done, and I'll and I'll tell you why in a second. Oh, it's I. I it's going to be good. So Halloween Kills in its third week, um, day and date on Peacock, which apparently nobody has, uh, maintained its second it's week. It's not a real streaming service. In Deal with it. Spot. It's a real streaming service. I watch stuff on it all the time. No, no, no Time no. to Die in its fourth week in the theater, um, exclusively, no day and date anywhere, maintained its third spot um, in the I top I refuse to believe people like it. And above Antlers, which was debuting this weekend, above Last Night in Soho, which we are currently talking about, which debuted this weekend, fucking My Hero Academia, brought to you by Funimation, World's Heroes Mission, which I saw with my daughter Good and determined you. and decided that the My Hero Academia cast are actually X-Men, just in, an anime style. You are incorrect in that for a variety of reasons, but if you want the <laughs> if you want the specific, like I know why you made that comparison. <laughs> And I, I and because I'm an old man and I don't watch a lot of anime. Sure. So when I went to the theater, I'm sorry, Robert. Go ahead with you. Yeah. No, no I, I, I'm just saying. Look, sure, you can make that. Mark can make that comparison because he's never seen anything from My Hero Academia before this moment, and he went, "Oh, kids with powers in school, X Men." Right. <laughs> it's not so, the Harvard Association. It's not, but it, again, you're also not correct but my theater here has of course all the posters lined up on the outside wall right 
And as I'm walking in, it literally goes Antlers, My Hero Academia, Last Night in Soho. And I was like, okay, let's go see Last Night in Soho over these two. <laughs> I know, right? It's so funny because you, you missed the part of the podcast where I told Robert, yeah, I knew it was either Antlers or Last Night in Soho. And I'm like, who'd want to go see Antlers? Apparently more, everyone did. More people, <laughs> more people than saw Last Night in Soho. I'm going to have to now upload Dennis. There we go. I'm sorry I fucked up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I fucked up. Anyway, My Hero Academia debuted at number four uh, from Funimation. In only like 1,500 plus theaters, it made um, six, almost six and a half million dollars. So, good for you know, them. yeah, good, good for good for them. That's the yeah. uh, that's the second theatrical release for a My Hero Academia film. So good for them. Yeah, they're coming. Gonna... I, I believe the man the manga is kind of coming up on its closing arc. I'll be sad mm. to see it go in some respects, but uh, Venom. Robert Winfrey hates you. Dropped I from do. four to five. And uh, went bad, down man. into the thirty-eight point two percent. That's true. I'd, I'd have to care more if I wanted to really hate it. And lost two hundred and thirty-five theaters. Now, here's the funny part of talking about the money. We're in the money. Antlers, who made its debut this weekend from Guillermo del Toro in some fashion or other, or the producer. He's a producer. Actor, I don't remember. Producer. Yeah, producer. Um, debuted at number six. How Good much for does that. your life fucking suck as a film? When you can't even debut in your debut weekend in the top five. What I mean, is there any more of an argument for no one gives a shit about your movie? Except if you're the same situation and you debut at number seven, which is what Last Night in Soho did. You know, I never thought about it. I guess they, they do now. You <laughs> well, monster. Look, given that we go through Jeez. this, hang on. Given that we go through this list every week, there's a lot of movies that debut outside the top five, and we all know this now. Antlers, I think, I don't think Antlers not in wide release though. Even in even then, like I, 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 it's more common than you are remembering at the moment. L look, I think Antlers is just fine where it is. Like I hate to be that guy, but this is a small Antlers is a smaller budget strictly horror film that was trying to I was trying to compete with larger release fare that people were a couple of other horror movies in point of fact it didn't need big box office returns to be successful it still doesn't it'll be fine I think this is yet another one that came over in the in the Fox purchase this is a searchlight film mm. yeah it, which again ought to tell you a little bit about that it, it searchlight tends to have smaller budgets and this is one of those that is going to be a good financial return, all things considered. It's not going to feature prominently in any lists, but it is what it is in that respect. Let's contrast that with Last Night in Soho, which debuted at number seven, had a larger budget, and boy, was that thing banking on being on the on being a big news item for the like Antlers is the kind of movie that best case scenario debuts in number three, give or take, and mm -hmm. then does good you know, makes, turns a profit people like it some streaming service is going to pay a decent chunk of money to have it in their library and people will watch it if it's a good horror movie because that's kind of the life cycle of a horror movie last night in soho is barely a horror movie i think by most conventional <laughs> but by its tone its aesthetic uh again not not completely divorced from the horror genre but not really a horror movie, I tend to think, in a lot of respects. It really did need a big theatrical push because this thing dying on the vine like this is 
like that's horrible for you have a bigger name director in terms right. of Edgar Wright. This is not a good look for Universal. Yeah, not at all. This is this is terrible. This is terrible for them. In its uh, second week, Ron's gone wrong. No one gave. No one appears to have given a shit. Which started out at number five and has dropped to eight. Yet another. Just literally Fox... realized it was out there tonight. <laughs> literally, uh, not yet another Fox slash Disney purchase. The Adams Family too, which is currently Pivod, uh, fell from six to nine. And my son, we watched the first one. Um, I think the day before Halloween. And my son has when he wasn't pitching podcasts. He was like, when are we watching Adam's Family 2? And I'm like, calm the fuck down already. You know um, what? You should, you and your, you and your family should watch the original live, the first two live action Adam's Family with uh, Angel Angelica Houston and why am I blanking? And Raul Julia. Yeah. Raul Julia and um, so, uh, Christopher Brown. Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Fr uh, the, French, the French Dispatch, but yet another um, Wild and Wooly famous director. Actually, um, got a almost a hundred percent increase in theaters it went up a hundred uh 736 screens uh and but still dropped from nine to ten i just realized i'm still on camera and i'm like looking at the <laughs> inverse looking at the, at the screen like an old man <laughs> uh shang chi dropped out of the top 10 um nine weeks in the theaters and about to i think get pulled and go on the disney yeah, plus almost certainly and look, um, look, Disney's not going to compete with itself. And since Eternals comes out, we're probably going to say goodbye to Shang-Chi. Yep. Last which is duel, fun. Which Ronnie and I reviewed, fell from 7 to 12. Uh, the Ghostbusters really. Boy, hang on. Just about the last duel, let me just say this again. That's a story that needs ambiguity and mystery. And your decision, writers of that particular movie, to make it. Yet another stamp in the yet another Me Too fable slash moment was a terrible one, and your box office returns are proving that. Uh, the re release for Ghostbusters 1984, um, that made an, uh, a little extra 300,000. I'm gonna say this on camera, I'm actually gonna go uh, look directly into the camera for this. So, my son, <laughs> whom I love. My, my son <laughs> if you don't I, want him anymore i'll take him uh no you can't have him he's mine um <laughs> i i love dearly but i implore in him progressive values you, you, you really should and you uh, really shouldn't may i please have my moment sorry <laughs> i implore with implore in him progressive values his sister is a little feminist and and while we maintain traditional family values, I try to encourage in him love for his fellow man and equality among the genders. And this fucking neckbeard meathead, <laughs> seven-year-old, says as we're coming out of the theater, and I said, "Hey, Jonas, they did another one." He first of all he tells me he loves Ghostbusters. Good. Had a great time at the movies. Sister fell asleep for the first thirty minutes of it. This is becoming a pattern. Um, but he was like, this was great. Oh my God. Are there any more of these? And I said, yeah, <laughs> there is no, no, no there's not <laughs> there. They made, they remade this in 2016, but did it with all female ghostbusters. And he cuts me off and he says, listen, motherfucker. <laughs> um, he, said, <laughs> he cuts me off and he says, I hate it. Good. <laughs> wow. And I said, but Jonas, I haven't told you anything about it except that it's for female Ghostbusters instead of four males. And he was like, yeah, if it's four girls instead of boys, they've already ruined the movie. I don't need to see it. 
Oh, like, Bubby. Holy shit. When did you, who birthed you in a YouTube comment somewhere? Mark, <laughs> Mark, Mark. <laughs> He's not coming from a YouTube comments perspective. Your son is what, seven? Seven, yes. You need to introduce him to the little rascals. He's just a He-Man woman hater. That's where he is in his <laughs> developmental phase. He tells me all the time. He was just like, listen, I see the value in being with a girl, but they're just going to distract me from doing what I want to do and who can be bothered. I was like, Jesus uh, Christ. The wisdom of children is vastly overstated <laughs> in almost every instance. My son, the neckbeard. Anyway, um, a mouthful. speaking of which, a mouthful of air debuted at 14 and made nothing i th i make more than that in my salary i think that's not uh, wait, okay. um <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna air. i was gonna say i'll buy that you make more than free guy did this week but i'm not quite <laughs> sure about a mouthful of air that's about the same um if free guy dropped from 11 to 15 Candyman 12 to 16 the rescue 14 to 17 heart of the champion uh, heart of champions rather candy man um <laughs> made the, made the teacher's annual salary in florida uh, and debuted at number 18, Lamb dropped from 13 to 19. Dear Evan Hansen, you stink. Uh, dro <laughs> drop I, I refuse to believe any below, anything below 16 is an actual movie. <laughs> no, hang on. Jungle Cruise is a real movie. How is that still in the theaters? That's a better question, but it's a real movie. <laughs> it's about to be out of the theaters. Yeah. Um, other debuts this week. Well, Wasn't it released in 2018? No, <laughs> souvenir part two, which debuted at twenty two, and cicada oh, at number thirty. All right, and here's the part you all uh, can't wait for: the worldwide box office. Where do we stand right now? Oh boy, pretty much exactly where we were last week. No, we have movement. We have things to talk about right now. So the the Battle of Lake Shangjin, which if you don't know what that is, it's a Chinese propaganda movie where they win. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yes. Yes, it's a bit of propaganda. The I look, it's a bit of propaganda the same way that most war films are. There's always a bit of a no war movie, shouldn't say none. Very few, very very few actually get events in battle and the associated geopolitical ramifications correct because here's the truth of it. Most of them are not cinematic and they certainly don't lend themselves to be wrapped up in a neat little two hour package. Okay. We, we got to move is, this on. I, moving it on. It's about a real event mm -hmm. where uh, the Chinese defended what was essentially the border between North Korea and China uh, during part of the American invasion of North Korea during the Korean war. And they did, in fact, defend this particular border. They didn't, they were not pushed further back. The American troops wound up disengaging. The problem is, I don't think there's a word in Mandarin for Pyrrhic victory. <laughs> so they turned it into something more celebratory than, boy, we lost so, so many people. <laughs> we lost a lot of good horses that day. Speaking of, <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of lost horses, hi, mom. Uh, currently in the second place with 100, uh, 822 million. I, I, I think by the time 20, uh, 2021 ends, unless Spider-Man does gangbusters... It's not. It's, look, look here's, a, here's a spoiler for everybody. It ain't gonna... The top two movies of the year are gonna both be Chinese, you know, Chinese domestic movies. Yep. Um, F9 currently still in the third spot. Detective Chinatown in the fourth. But cracking into the top five Indeed. this week. No Time to Die, the second movie, the second American uh, domestic movie this year to crack 500 million. 
Look, this is, No Time to Die did not offend the Chinese government, and so was released in China, just like F9. Here's, here's some uncomfortable truth for all of us to pay attention to. The most important box office region for movies is not the United States anymore. China. It's not. Look, the top two are Chinese films that were released essentially only in China. Right. Meanwhile, you know, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings sits at number seven and will not make $500 million. Nope. It's about <laughs> to end its run. So, yeah, it's it's done now. Anyway, Godzilla and Kong knocked out of the top five where it sat almost the entire year. Pretty much. came out in March. At 467, Shang-Chi, the aforementioned 423. Venom in the top 10, much to Robert's chagrin, at 395. I, I Look, I've made my peace with the fact that once every couple of years you're going to make me go see this and I'm going to wish to be James Bond being smacked in the balls by Le Chiffre with a, <laughs> with a rug beater. Speaking because of smack- that's less painful. Speaking of smacking men in the balls, Black Widow at 379. Free Guy. That was a good transition, Mark. Good job. Thank you. Uh, free guy at number uh, number 10. I don't even have to tell you. Um, I mean, again, the number one movie of this weekend, despite its difficulties with the critics currently, is going to be Eternals. That's just it, the way it is. It's going to be number one. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is how far, what does it do relative to the projections we might have had for it six weeks ago? So uh, Eternals comes out this week. That'll be the number one movie. It'll num- it'll be number one again the following week because it has no competition. What competition it does have is streaming and the re-release of Rocky Four, which won the Cold War. You know, you know. Um, hang on, hang on. You what? know what? I think Rocky Four might do it. Oh, shut up! I've, I've, really- I've been silent too long. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just to everything. <laughs> um, Ronnie's favorite movie of this year, whether he knows it or not, is Ghostbusters Afterlife, which comes out on the 19th. That'll be the number one movie of that weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. But it's going to get undone um, the following Wednesday because that's Thanksgiving weekend. It's going to be a long weekend. Lots of movie going as it happens over the Thanksgiving holiday. And your choices will be Encanto, which is the new uh, Disney animated feature from mm-hmm. um, looking at the culture of Columbia. House of I knew Gucci. that was a thing. House of Gucci by Ridley Scott and Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City, you fucks. Um, Boy, has anyone, has any other director, like Ridley Scott doesn't have the same specific mark of demarcation that, um, why am I blanking on the director's name? The guy who directed The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola. Mm-hmm. Coppola has a very clear line of demarcation where everything before this moment is great, classic. Some of the best films ever made, and everything after it is crap. Um, Rid- so Ridley Scott has some of the best films ever made to mm-hmm. his name. He's also got some of the worst. I think House of Gucci will be okay. <clears throat> I think the number one. I think the number one movie of the Thanksgiving weekend will end up being Encanto, and it'll probably um, be the number one probably. movie. Probably nothing comes out December third. So um, I just made. I, I'm sorry to go back just a hair. Yeah, but I just made. I made. I made like a degrees of Kevin Bacon moment for a second there. Okay. Cause we were talking about antlers and sure. we, of course we've been, this has been about last night in Soho. Jesse Plemons is an antlers. Yes, he is. Who has the same wet melted wax face that Matt Smith does. You interrupted me for that a little bit. <laughs> All right. West side story will be the number one movie of the do weekend, not, December 10th. Yes. Do not, do not interrupt me. Radulich. This is important. Oh, I didn't realize you weren't done making your wax face point. I am now done. Go ahead. 
<laughs> God damn it. Bunch of drama queens over here. Um, and then December 17th, poor Guillermo <laughs> del Toro will have you know, we'll have this wonderful movie that we will talk about, Nightmare Alley, but it's going to be utterly overshadowed by Spider-Man and the fucking multiverse. Um, yeah, it and, is. And then not to I'm be outdone, we, we 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 pack the end of the year in like an unwilling anal victim. Jesus Christ, we have Nightmare Alley, Spider-Man, and the following week, Kingsman, Sing 2, and the fucking Matrix 4. Christ on on a cracker. Could could we not not face this out anymore? I'm not sure you needed to liken it to anal. (laughs) (laughs) Just packing it all in there. No lube. Just just... look, look. You need to stop. I know you've been rewatching Oz, but come on, man. I have only heard about it. Can all right? You you want to look at that schedule that I just rattled off and not think you know it's just jamming everything into the ass that you can find. What, just, what if I I'm compared just, it to what a This is the Does first thing you? you go to. <laughs> yeah, that, that look, that's the that's the part that's a bit more troubling. Look, <laughs> you just have to be the poor nurse dealing with the ER patient who said, I don't know how that got in there. It was an accident. <laughs> One in a million shot to fall on. Like you ain't fooling anybody, buddy. Uh Ronnie, aren't you glad I got you to come on this podcast tonight? I'm I was asleep. <laughs> Thinking about anal sex? No! <laughs> you can, this is a safe space, Ronnie. It's just between me and you. You can tell me if that's what you were thinking about. And our no. and our dozen. I can't even pluralize this. <laughs> dozen. Singular dozen listeners. All right. And on that note... A note of dozens. And... Are you ready? I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, I'm the critic- sending you to school to learn how to segue into bits. <laughs> Have a hot dog and a Hummer, it's on me. Um, Boy, the audience thought about this very little. <laughs> well, nobody saw it. There wasn't, you know, many people okay, think. Okay, about that, it. that's true. Smug- the critical hey. review is brought to you by fucking Grammarly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grammarly. Grammarly. <laughs> which could get. Grammarly, don't which, take his cursing to heart. We love you. Grammarly, if, if, which Mark needs so that he can come up with a different metaphor than <laughs> anal sex. What's truly troubling is that's not the first time I've done that. Um, I know. That's why I said you need a new one. <laughs> um. Grammarly will help you when you're like me and you won't be allowed to do your stupid transitions and ad reads by your co-host <laughs> to come up with a better way of handling it grammatically than screaming, fuck you, you fucking fuck. You're going to have to mark this one as a... As a you're going to have to mark... <laughs> this, look, this is what's going to get us demonetized on YouTube. Not the clips, Mark's incessant profanity, which does trigger the YouTube uh, it really does. algorithm. That, there, you there's been do a it. few that are limited ad because I can't stop cursing. You like, really I have, have to stop. Uh, that's going to be the thing that does it. I'm going to have to start behaving myself on these things. <laughs> Fucking Grammarly's AI-powered products <laughs> help you to communicate more effectively than I do. Communic- uh, Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. 
Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and stopping your incessant cursing. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Uh, again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to help Ronnie Adams with the aneurysm he's currently having. At least it'll make <laughs> your at least it'll make your incessant cursing less repetitive. At what point do the listeners go? I don't think he actually uses that. <laughs> Look, Mark Mark is kind of a tangential user of Grammarly. Pat uses it all the time. I've used it on occasion. I don't want to get into it, but Pat uses it because he has to. He's he's actually Pat is pretty. He's he. I don't think I've heard him cuss as much as Mark. To be honest with you, at seventy four percent fresh uh, is where we landed with the critics. Ninety two percent audience score. The critics' consensus, although it struggles to maintain its thrilling early momentum, last night in Soho shows flashes of Edgar Wright at his most stylish and ambitious. And the audience not says. All- not always a good thing to be stylish and ambitious. I'm just throwing it out there. Last Night in Soho has visual thrills and a great soundtrack and a plot so, that keeps you guessing. In other words, everything you want from an Edgar Wright movie. Okay, L- let me tell you what the audience synopsis really says. The keys jingle, and I don't think. <laughs> That's what they're admitting to here. All right, speaking of jingling keys, Sarah Michelle Fetters of MovieFreak.com, top critic. One of the best. That's just the best. It's like watching immaculately quaffed mannequins sprint to and fro. And while they look magnificent, that does not mean I cared much about uh, that much about what was happening or what the solutions hiding within this time traveling puzzle box were going to be. I think we kind of aligned it. Look, this is one of the problems when your characters are all stock. No one cares. I don't think that's terribly outside the bounds. David, David Fear from an ancient rag of no consequence in our current times, Rolling Stone. Boy, <laughs> your medium is dying. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. I, thought they, I didn't know they were still actually a thing. Yeah, they still sell Rolling Stone. <laughs> Whether people are buying it, they're, they're, they are in the process of selling it's it. just one dude in the corner of a crappy apartment just going, I'm going to show them. <laughs> the I type of things. I went to a Led Zeppelin concert once. Wright gives you such a heady, intoxicating uh, recreation of that historical UK cultural kaboom that even when he and co-writer Christy Wilson Cairns pulled the rug out from under viewers, you can still feel the pull of those 60 sequences. Okay, buddy... You ain't Joseph Conrad. Learn how to break up your sentences, first of all. <laughs> Second. I don't think he actually you, said anything. He did. It's just really stupid. His point is, boy, I loved the style, and I think they did such a great job pulling at pseudo-nostalgia with a soundtrack and costume design that even though the writing sucks, I don't care that much because nostalgia. Get Speaking bent. Of, no, he didn't bent. say that. That's what he said. Look, F- I am really good at interpreting what people actually say, regardless of what words come out of their mouth. He said kaboom. He did. <laughs> he did. And I knew what he, I was able to, in- look, if I've listened to hundreds of slightly brain damaged fighters give in-cage interviews immediately <laughs> after said bludgeoning, and I can figure out what they say, I can interpret this idiot. I, what I was what'd you way, think in the middle of the fight? I, I hit kaboom. 
<laughs> I was at work. But that's you and... putting over your opponent as someone that hits really hard, and you're still happy that you won because of all the hard work you put in. I know what they're saying. I was at work recently, and somebody said something to me, and I was like, well, anything is possible through Christ. And I had to explain to them that I was <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain that I was mocking Ben Henderson and not being religious in a uh, in a work environment, which would be inappropriate. Um, Look, Mark, that's how far behind the times you are with MMA. You still think Benson Henderson's a somewhat relevant person to reference. Yeah. I, I every, just time have... I, every time I do that bit, I have to go into such a long explanation that starts with, well, first, the dinosaurs game. It's really not worth it. Esther Zuckerman of Thrillist, top critic, <laughs> best of the best. <laughs> I don't believe that's a real name, by the way. Last Zimmerman. Why is that funny to me right now? <laughs> Esther Zuckerman. Your Zuckerman. Actor. Uh, oh. Last Night in Soho is ultimately a messy and occasionally frustrating film, but that pull that Eloise feels is both heartfelt and inescapable in Edgar Wright's haunted ode to us kids who could not get enough of the past. Okay, look, as a bit of an antiquarian myself, you're allowing the fact that this that you wished to you you feel you were born a century too early like too late there's a lot of people like this the fact that this movie goes hey here's a person who feels a little bit displaced in time with the ability to time travel and you go oh i wish that were me that's not an excuse for poor film craft and the fact that you allow it to be such is is poor film review on your part tom shown of the sunday times uk this fucking rag uh, Wright has finally made a movie in which the needle drop is the plot. I'm going to assume that's a colloquialism that I'm not familiar with, and that makes more sense to him because otherwise, it's yeah. a needle drop on a record player. Needle, needle. Drop. I know. I understand the physical okay. reference. I'm not sure I understand the metaphorical reference. Hence, I'm giving this. I'm going to assume this is a colloquialism I'm not terribly familiar with. <laughs> I just sneeze because that's what I think of. Marianne and Neil of Impression Blend. That's certainly some outlet you contribute to. I love, I love when horror is approached creatively. I love it like this. When it's gorgeous, I love it. And seductive, I love it. And a little bit crazy, I love I'm it. I'm going to tell you that I'm just not, I'm not entirely fond of anything you're doing right now, Mark. <laughs> Look, this, this person gave this a nine out of ten, an almost perfect score. I don't. I'm sorry. Does no one care about how about film writing anymore? Does no one care about these things. About Robert, money. It's good. You want create if you want creative and gorgeous uh, horror, you can find stuff that's actually creative and scary. Not Weird. oh look. Antlers okay. came out the same week. <laughs> I forgot. Because I was where. in the theater watching this. <laughs> when you said yourself, you would have rather watched Antlers. I would have. But here's the deal. Oh, God. It's not It's not that. Okay. The writing isn't as. It's not that bad. And now the third act is the what is what really turned me off. Uh, but I could still get behind two thirds of the movie. Right. Now, hey, we, do I we, think it deserves a 9 out of 10? No. Do I think a lot of these people are just going, hey, look at me. I can write fancy words on a paper and you'll pay me for it. Yes, because <laughs> they have no sense of anything 
you know, it, it's it's uh, those who can't teach and those who fail at acting or filmmaking turn into what if they you do. Ever finish a damn you Hollywood in less than an hour and a half? I will fucking <laughs> die Mark, on camera. Uh, um, Mark, you might want to get your affairs in order because tomorrow you and I are talking about paranormal activity next of kin we will be done with that in less than 90 minutes i guarantee if y'all don't give it if you give it more than it it, then it it stinks from the (laughs) critic (laughs) then i've lost all hope look that might be the first damn you hollywood that hits the mythical 22 minute (laughs) (laughs) lee mccoy of drum dums robert drum dums well this guy certainly is one of those Edgar Wright continues to dazzle with this love letter to Italian and 60s cinema. Of course, mixed with his signature style of next-level camera work, Soho is him hypnotic and seductive, just like the world our main character, Eloise, embarks. Okay, moron. You don't embark on a world. You embark on a voyage. You inhabit a world. Make You, sir, could take Grammarly on us. <laughs> use it it'll help you avoid these particular things here's the other problem i have with this edgar wright's camera work only really showed up in the dance sequence like everything else that goes on here is very much not his style when it comes to what he does as a director you get one good sequence that is very much within his visual flair and style everything else was frankly a lot more generic and i was a little bit surprised by that considering it's edgar wright robert's father weighing in from movie nation roger not Moore. my father mark don't lie to the people the most stylish and upscale horror movie in years <sighs> okay no hang on hang on he's not technically wrong and i have to give him credit for that the one time I go with you on this, you go the opposite direction. Oh, okay, Robert. hang on, hang on. I'm hang done. On. I'm no, done. No, 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 hang on. Here's what I <laughs> here, Here's what I mean by he's Hold technically. Hold on, I think I broke things. <laughs> you might have. Okay, I'm he, good now. Here's what I mean by he's technically correct. If we're talking purely about visual style and allegedly upscale setting, can you name something in the last two years? So we'll go back to 2019 that is on the same level of production as this. No, because the world shut down. And he is technically correct. This is what I mean. Like, I'm not happy about it, but he is. And I'm going to, you dude, I fit in with the bureaucrats in Futurama. You know, this I'm pedantic. I have to be. He is technically correct, and I'm mad about it. Army of the Dead. All right. A couple more of these, and then we're we're closing up for the night. Stylish, yes. Upscale, no. But okay, fair point. Ryan Syrek of The Reader of Omaha, Nebraska. People reading Omaha, Nebraska? Did you just say Omaha? I did. Let's not insult the people of Omaha just because we don't like this guy. Look, I've driven through Nebraska. Okay, Mark. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> I seriously saw Mark's soul die. A little bit. 
little bit. The big reveal in Last Night in Soho is the single most unintentionally hilarious film moment of 2021. He's not that's, wrong. That's a bad accomplishment in a normal year. It's apocalyptically bad in a year that also features an M. Night Shyamalan movie. He is not wrong about that. Holy cr- I expected to tear into that guy, but he's not wrong. Good for you, sir. Michael Medved of the Michael Medved Show. We hate you, Michael Medved. We hate you. This, this is the, for the record. This is the one critic that Mark hates and I don't care about. But this guy. When I called your radio show, I demand my time. And he took it from me. Like my virginity. The lavish soundtrack. Unwillingly. No, 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 no. No. Uh, the lavish soundtrack featuring. Well, now, Gene... we know, now we know why Mark's obsessed with it. <laughs> The lavish take two. The lavish soundtrack featuring pre-Beatles British pop is the most appealing part of the artsy but annoying last night in Soho. Of all the things you could have praised about, look, at least you. Here's the thing about this, and this is this is the problem I have with that review. You went out of your way to point out that the song selection here was designed to evoke, designed to be a character. It's not just what Cruella did, which is slapdash, people remember these songs. That's not actually the point he's making. The point he's making is, boy, wasn't the music good from that time period. Like, that's not helpful criticism of the film, sir. Armin White of National Review, this fucking guy. Oh, this guy. <laughs> and we will end with this. We will always end with Armin White, who fucking hates everything, but that's for more, no good reason. That's more prophetic than you might think. National Review. Everything about Wright's checklist filmmaking is unsatisfying. Trying to make both a pop culture jamboree and an expose of female exploitation means last night in Soho is diversity gone mad. Mad, I tell you. Okay. Sick him, Ronnie. Sick him. It's like, okay, <laughs> this guy doesn't like pizza. <laughs> it's not that he doesn't like pineapple on pizza. Which should not or... exist. Alf, right, we, we both agree on that. He doesn't like Alfredo sauce and pizza. He doesn't like certain things. He just doesn't like pizza as a whole. Why do you review movies if you don't like any of them? Stop being a dick, have a Coke, smile in Mark Radlich terms or whatever else you want. Here's a cupcake. Um, and, and just enjoy a movie. Like this guy is like very, very downtrodden on everything, isn't he? Like he doesn't yeah. like anything. That's- Look, I would care less about what he says about this movie in particular here because, okay, I get, I think he's right about the tonal problem that this film has. He's, again, he's not wrong in terms of his pure criticism here. This is every week with this guy. Yeah. The, yeah. My, my, my problem is that he didn't like, isn't that he didn't like this film. My problem is, it isn't even like, like that he doesn't like, no, 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 I don't care that he doesn't like anything either. If he had, you know, if he's looking for the lobster and he can't find it, you know, not not the Eddie Izzard joke, the actual movie, The Lobster. Yeah, um, Colin Carroll. Yeah, like that's fine. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't begrudge Robert that. I don't begrudge this guy that. I forgot about that. H- however, he never has a good reason for not liking anything, and it, and he is looking for that magical uni- unicorn progressive agenda film that he just can't seem to find. He writes for National Review. He wants the opposite. <laughs> okay. I, I, I might be mistaken, but I think National Review is a slightly more conservative publication. Don't quote this me on that. This guy sounds like the left of the left, though. Like, no, like, his complaint here is there's diversity and it's gone too far. 
Okay. Well, okay. Here's the deal. Like, I give Robert and Pat a hard time, but th- that's our shtick. You know, it's a shtick with us. You know, it's like like oh, I, you know, they don't like anything. Blah, blah blah. No, they do like things. They like things. This guy likes nothing. Okay. This guy doesn't like himself. And that is our review of last night. Stop interrupting me, Mark. (laughs) Hey, as someone who doesn't like himself, I don't need a hug. Yeah, you know what you need? I will hug you no matter what. Ah, Mungo. (laughs) That was funny. Good old Mondo. And on that note, finally, we are at the end of our last night in Soho review. Ah, um... Tomorrow, myself and Robert will review Paranormal Activity. On Halloween, we dropped like 900 shows. Oh, my gosh, uh, my, it was ridiculous. My kids and I did a alternative commentary, which my son was fucking hilarious, for uh, A Nightmare Before Christmas. Jesse and Alexis reviewed Power Rangers on A Nightmare on Elm Street. We re-aired our Trick or Treat reanimated that's the crossover, review. That's the crossover you never knew you wanted, but was kind of awesome. Yeah. And then late in the evening, since Limp Biscuit dropped it on Halloween, we rushed to review Limp Biscuit Still Sucks. Tomorrow. Mark, Mark, I have to ask because I haven't listened to your review yet. Just tell me, does it still suck? <laughs> I referred to it. This is actually funny. I referred to it as the kind of music that makes you want to rip your toilet out of the bathroom and yeet it across the room. <laughs> and somebody left a comment on our YouTube uh, review <laughs> agreeing with me. He was like, yeah, accurate. It's, it's toilet throwing music. That's amazing. <laughs> awesome. I have accomplished something in my life. Um, you know what? You, YouTube commenter, thank you. Thank you for commenting. It helps the algorithm. I assume you liked the video. If you didn't, please do so. Okay. Tomorrow, myself and Robert Winfrey will be reviewing Paranormal Activity next of Ken. Um, Wednesday. Next, next of nothing. That's what that movie is. Nothing. Wednesday, myself and the boys will be reviewing Ministry Moral Hygiene. Pat and I are reviewing the last half of Dark Side of the Ring Season 3. Friday night okay. after SmackDown ends and Robert takes a cold shower, we will be getting together to do a Oscar-worthy... You're not giving me enough time for a cold shower. <laughs> an Oscar-worthy triple feature of Sad Piano, Black and White Movie, and How's Your Father? No, um, Nomadland, Mank, and The Father. And then Saturday... We have a re-airing of our Pride and Prejudice and Zombies review. Plus, uh, Robert has UFC coverage, so he can't be with us, which is sad. But um, I'm joined by Chris Bailey and Daniel Lasby, in theory. Uh, We will be doing the Canelo Alvarez-Caleb Plant unification title for all the super middleweight belts. Sunday is Robert. Everyone loves a bad guy for Dexter. Yes, Robert. I just have to warn you about the Canelo fight. Mm Mm-hmm. I intercepted one of the couriers who was delivering the scorecards the other day. <laughs> so you might get a more you might get a more serious scoring of that fight if, since one judge will not be able to sleep cage side and ringside and just hand in. I, I stole it. Okay. I, 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 I did not keep it because I don't need the evidence of the assault that took place. But I know what they were going to score that fight now, at least one of the judges. Terrific. Nice. Uh, you can check out all of our Halloween coverage that we have. We had a whole bunch of shows. Um, plus, there's a therapy session that that did an imitation of a podcast that took place Friday night great. between uh, a drunken Pat Mullen, a drunker Jason Teasley, and a mortified Mark Radulich. Slightly uh, drunk Mark Radulich. I was not drunk. I'm not 300 okay. pounds. I don't get drunk on one beer. Okay, not sober, Mark Radulich. <laughs> I think you kind of brought that on yourself. 
by you guys you guys put that you guys put that together late they both said hey we're going to be drinking you said god bless what did you expect to happen that's the and that's the show i made my wife on camera bring me an alcoholic beverage and then do the chinese bounded ankle walk away (laughs) Um, and then got called a dick on camera oh my god yes by a different in different show yeah so hey the benefits of live streaming you Speaking too, the... list, you too, listener. If you want to come on and call Mark a dick, you can, <laughs> we are live streaming on Twitch, Facebook, at, and I don't think we're live streaming on YouTube, are we? We might be. Sure are. If you want to contribute, if you want to contribute to the show and leave a chat message, you can. Mark will show them on screen, and we will. We are happy to interact with you people. That that's a real offer. The uh, damn you Hollywood records usually uh, nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time Mondays and Tuesdays. Well, Jesse, while Jesse roams the neighborhood fondling people's junk, uh, Ronnie Adams takes people into his basement <laughs> and teaches them D and D. Tell them, tell tell the people about the children that you uh, that you teach D and D to, Ronnie. I get that uh, reference, oh, and Jesse's oh. going to be mad at you. No, Jesse uh-huh. knows. Jesse and I have talked about him wandering the neighborhood fondling junk. I don't want to do this anymore. It's, okay, for no. just in just in case someone knows, <laughs> just in case someone knows Jesse Starcher and is going, wait, what? Mark is referencing his penchant for going to estate sales and auctions. Correct. Oh, I don't know what else you thought I meant by that. You people are. You I people thought are dirty you made around, he went around grabbing people's uh, testicles. Oh, that's that's obscene, Ronnie. You, and I, that's not that kind. Oh, of, not that kind of show. This movie, Mark. The video's going to get demonetized now because of you, Ronnie. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Mark's screaming the F word 9,000 times in one sentence and talking about anal rape doesn't get it don't demonetized. Say the, don't say the R word. That really gets it done. Uh, 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 Talk about the children, beep, Ronnie. Beep. Anyway, I... God, why? We just uh. segue. Wait, wait. We just segued from anal to the children way too soon. Yeah, that's so true. I don't want to say that. I'm going to say that I have a Twitch channel called (laughs) Misfits and Miscreants, where we do an actual play D&D podcast every other week. I am getting back into the swing of things of, uh, you know, streaming video games in the meantime, but I'm going to start uh, here soon. Uh, We're starting up uh, more board game content um more ttrpg content such as kids on bikes monster of the week and call of cthulhu um i just ran a couple of call of cthulhu call of cthulhu games recently one was at free rpg day and then they asked me to run it again on an on an off week uh to just run a game and it was a lot it's been a lot of fun so we're going to be doing that a little more often some one shots of that but right now, our main show is uh, I run um, run seven people through Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and seven. Uh, yes, dang man, it's a big party. I've, <laughs> I've ran a party of twelve before. Um, I bet you have, big boy. I hate you. And <laughs> everything about you right now, Mark. But anyway, why, why do you choose to be the things that you are? <laughs> I gotta be. But made. we. Uh, we have seven people. Uh, it, it, it's it's been a lot of fun. We've only been through four sessions because of uh, free RPG day and things like that. But um, uh, the fourth session just dropped. Uh, it's on Twitch right now. It'll be uploaded to YouTube uh, tomorrow. 
Um, and it's, it's been, I've got some really cool players. Uh, and, uh, we now have our own micro, you know, we have separate microphones so you can hear them, uh, instead of just having a tabletop microphone. But, uh, so it's, it's been, it's been really fun. Uh, I'm excited to see where these characters are going and what they're, what they're doing. I've got some, some cool plans. Uh, but of course it's their story. I'm just helping them tell it. So Jesse's going like- to teach my, Jesse's going to teach my neckbeard son, to play D&D. Who is? You are. I'm not Jesse. Oh, fuck. Yeah, Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie. Ronnie Adams. Of the... Junk, sir. <laughs> Ronnie of the Screaming Boy podcast will teach my son how to play D&D. Because he, uh, he is really into tabletop board games and wanting to learn how to role play now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be awesome at it. Um... So I'm going to need to get him like muscle, muscle mass and steroids and get him on the weights. So when people find out in high school that he plays D and D since the age of eight, you know, seven or eight years old, he doesn't get shoved into lockers. Homie, it's chic now. It's cool. It's yeah. chic. Don't even worry about it. Critical Mark, role. Uh, I, I mean, the D podcast, all these things. I, I uh, mean, Joe this all charity. It's not, that doesn't carry the same stigma it did for you. No. It's Joe Manganiello. Don't talk it. about my trauma. Look, it, so, it, I'm not. I'm not saying it's going to get you invited to parties and let you date the prom queen, <laughs> but it ain't going to get you swirly every, twice a week. So on Instagram, I follow different creators. Uh, you know, mostly Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know, like content creators, and then uh, I found LA D and D Society, uh, which is Kyle Newman and a few other people, and Joe Manganiello. Joe Magnello has a weekly game that he hosts mm-hmm. out of his basement, which he calls yes, he the Gygax Memorial Dungeon, uh, which has people like Vince Vaughn, Paul uh, Paul White, a uh, big mm-hmm. show, uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, and uh, Cal New- Newman. Like I said, Cal Newman is a director who did uh, uh, directed a movie called Fanboys and some other things. Was recently uh, he and Jamie King have divorced but they were married for a while um and then uh i mean he's got a lot of famous people on there that you'd never think would play they, they don't stream anything that's their game and i love that about them um so it doesn't carry that same stigma anymore um so uh, i don't have to hide in the corner anymore and and pray that no someone punches me in the mouth for loving D um well, but, again, uh, not for, not for D at least. Plenty of other reasons D&D. we plenty of other reasons we all have to hide in corners and pray not to now, get hit. But Magic the Gathering is a different story. But indeed, uh, <laughs> but there is Magic the Gathering content as well. And Mark Radlish has turned into uh, Doctor uh, Manhattan, and uh, he'll be back in a second. Okay, he'll be back in a second. So, uh, but yeah, we do that. Um, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I don't really use Twitter because I feel like it is the absolute dregs of social media, and I don't get on there. So we don't really it use wasn't, it. We have it. It wasn't until TikTok showed up. Ow, now we have a TikTok as well, and it's a lot of fun because the uh, algorithm actually works. Um, that, so all that's I get is true. D&D. Yeah. Uh, TikTok's filtration system seems to be better. Yes. I'm just saying, if you're looking for the dregs of society... Don't get me wrong, they're on Twitter, but you search the wrong thing on TikTok just once. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'll find the people who decide that it's a good idea to take the trampoline frame, string it with barbed wire, and jump onto it. Leave that boy alone. He's found what he does good. 
No, no, not, not, no, 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 not that one. The other one. No. Oh, okay. I'll have to figure him out. Uh, so, uh, I'm not remiss. To, I mean, this is a little early to announce this, but we also have a Patreon. Uh, Patreon is anywhere from, I mean, we have five different tiers starting at $5 where you're invited into our discord. So you can talk to us, talk to about the, about the, um, the story, everything else. Um, uh, we also have, uh, all the way up in the different tiers, uh, you can, ha- I will help you design an NPC, uh, which is a non-player character that will use in our campaign and it will be used often, uh, up to the, the highest tier you I will set up a private one shot with you that we can stream um you know online and it'll be an online session so if you want your you know some friends to come in you can do that or i can grab some people and play but you will be um we'll set up a a a, a one shot for you to even play so our patreon is set up um if you are going to support us we appreciate you do it through patreon uh we also appreciate any kind of subs and everything on twitch uh, just to get us some, you know, we're not using, I'm not using it. It's not a get rich thing. It's not like, Oh, Hey, we're like critical role. No, we're not. Um, I just, you know, if you enjoy it and you want to support it, that's great because we, we could use that to help further our stream with, you know, better recording equipment, uh, better cameras, some cool stuff, you know, like miniatures and stuff like that. Cause I'm a big physical terrain guy. Uh, I use a lot of, I'll use a lot of physical terrain. Um, Dwarven Forge and, and, and the like. Um, so that's what it would go to. Um, so, uh, yeah. So our Patreon is on our link tree. Uh, if you visit um, the twitch.tv slash Misfits and Miscreants. So um, that's it for me because I just kept rambling because I didn't know where you went, Dr. Manhattan. I pee and then get... Uh... Oh, he went wee-wee. Get uh, some cran apple drink. Nice. Not alcohol. I love not alcohol. God damn it. Right. Not. Speaking of not alcohol, go, Churchy. Well, as soon as I get done with Churchy. this, I'm going. <laughs> Sorry. I've never heard him call you Churchy before. It's a new one. <laughs> but I'm used to Mark trying out different nicknames for me and still not finding one that sticks. So. <laughs> Oh, I'll find one that sticks. I'm not saying I'm not saying you won't. I'm saying you haven't yet. <laughs> I, don't you, I don't think you understood what he meant. Oh, I did. Look, this <laughs> is what this is why it works. Mark tries to be clever, and because I'd rather not engage with his pseudo cleverness, <laughs> I pretend to be more concrete than I am. We are the living embodiment of the TikTok meme, where you know, like you know, like the guy, where it's the guy being straight laced, and then the girl. Wanting his attention, going, bird, I'm that girl. <laughs> it's, very, it's so true. It is. <laughs> so, anyway, Mark- Churchy, go for uh. it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Changing your name in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> can- <laughs> go ahead. It won't matter. Uh, as soon as we are done with this, I'm going to review AEW's Dark Elevation YouTube show because that's one of the things I do. Wednesday, I will huh. be covering MLW's Fusion Alpha program, which has been a lot of fun actually lately. They've <laughs> finally got a decent, uh, they finally got a decent setup going there. And Friday, I will cover WWE SmackDown, which I'm sure will drive me to consider suicide again. <laughs> he actually did it. I know. Why are you surprised? <laughs> I don't 
I just saw it flip over. I literally <laughs> saw it happen. Uh, are you good? No, not almost. Um, Mark referenced a few of the other podcasts we have coming up. Tomorrow, we will have a short podcast talking about Paranormal Activity Next of Kin and that woefully misbegotten franchise at this point and how it needs to die. Uh, Friday, we will talk the cinema. Mark and I will actually we we will put on our we will put on our smoking jackets. We will Mark will have a snifter of brandy. We will have cigars and we will we will ascend to the upper crust and we will have a high class discussion of serious cinema rather than the blockbuster schlock we normally discuss down here on the damn you Hollywood. I might take this so seriously that I don't curse or you sexual innuendo on that podcast. I would love to. I'm going to enjoy watching your face turn red as you try <laughs> very hard to hold as to that. Because I, I have to swallow all that in and then explode. <laughs> That's going to be a rough night for everyone in your household as soon as the camera turns off and you just detonate. And I just start yelling. <laughs> I just start screaming swear words and thrusting my hips into the wall. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> So we will be discussing the, a triple feature of films that were highly regarded by the awards by the award ceremonies last season: *Nomadland*, *Mank*, and *The Father*. And we will have thoughts. Some of them will be intelligent, informed, and thoughtful. Some of them will be purely personal, and some of them will be me talking about why I hate the bifurcation of cinema and the cinematic process that's been going on lately, and that's some of what spawned the existence of that particular podcast. So tune in for a more nuanced thoughtful discussion of that as opposed to mark referencing various forms of sexual gratification as he normally does <laughs> everyone's got to have a brand this last saturday i covered ufc 267 which started very early in the morning for me uh 8 30 in particular and went on uh so you can find my full report for that over in the mma zone of 411mania.com darn good card we all knew it would be it's a darn good card because all other events in the month of October sucked. And that was rough. They hmm. really did. So uh, you can find my full report for that. I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast if you're interested in the sport. This last episode, I set a record for talking to myself hmm. for two and a half hours where I reviewed UFC 267 and previewed UFC 268. There's another really good card coming your way this Saturday, which I will also be covering over at 411 Mania. If you follow me on social media, be that uh, as a friend on Facebook or just a guy on Twitter, I tend to be fairly active on fight nights, retweeting finishes, my thoughts on the technique that's associated with them, so on and so forth. Or you can follow along with the live coverage where you get all of that, can potentially talk with other fans in the comments section, and help encourage the people at 411 Mania to keep me on staff. It's a lie. They keep me around because I do things no one else will do. <laughs> I know, Mark. I know what you were going to do. <laughs> and on that note, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining us for a movie review that might actually be longer than the goddamn movie itself. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> for Sleepy Bear and for Churchy McGee, I'm Mark Rattledge. <laughs> be well. I, I, will, I will change my handle on this. This will be Churchy <laughs> McGee tomorrow. <laughs> Be well, be safe, and behave.